0: Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's com slash Wondery.
2: Welcome to episode 281 with my guest, Zachary Goodson. Uh, this is part two of a two-part series uh, his wife, Sarah, sits in. The previous uh, episode was Sarah's story, and Zach sat in on that one, so I highly recommend uh, listening to both of them. Uh, You don't necessarily need to listen to them in any particular order, but if you'd like, I can fax you some more details, or maybe uh, an older method of uh, communicating. Carrier pigeon? Smoke signal? Guy in a, a triangle hat on horseback? Is that what you call those revolutionary hats? Triangle hat? That's what I call them. My name is Paul Gilmart, and this is the Mental Illness Happy Hour, a place for honesty about all the battles in our heads, from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas, and sexual dysfunction to everyday compulsive negative thinking. This show is not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. It's not a doctor's office. I'm not a therapist. It's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck the website for this show is mentalpod.com uh, metalpod is also the twitter handle you can follow me at but go to our website check it out there's surveys you can fill out maybe we'll read your survey on the website it's completely anim- anonymous we don't even uh, record the ip address that you're you're sending it from um so uh, i encourage people to really let out their the stuff that they've been that that, that they've never told anybody or things that they um Have trouble talking about. It's a great chance to be uh, to be anonymous. Uh, Other stuff you can do with the website: you can read uh, blogs, guest blogs. You can join the forum. Um, So go check it out. I recently started a new drug. Um, I was reticent to take it, being a recovering uh, alcoholic. Uh, my psychiatrist said that, um, you know, something that can really help, uh, treatment resistant depression, uh, and, you know, kind of ADD, which, uh, I seem to have, uh, is Adderall and it, but it is, uh, technically an amphetamine. And my first thought was, no, I don't, I don't, I don't want to play with fire. And then um, I met uh, a woman named Sarah, who's a listener, and uh, she is also a sober person. She's been sober uh, like, I think, a month more than me or a month less than me. Um, So yeah, almost 13 years sober. And her psychiatrist prescribed it to her, and she also had reservations about it, and she tried it. And she said it really, really helped her to be present, um, to stay focused. And uh she wasn't having any problems with, you know, wanting to do more, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And so two days ago, I decided to try it. And it has changed my life. It has absolutely changed my life. The you know, I said to my wife, I feel like a flat tire that just got air. Um, I don't feel afraid to get out of bed. Um, I enjoyed myself at the gym today. I actually worked out longer than I normally do. Um, I'm not feeling like conversing people, conversing with people is an effort. It doesn't feel like sandpaper. Um, It's And and the thing that I'm really happy about is it doesn't make me crave doing more. Like when I would drink, um, drinking would make me want to drink more. And um, I'm so glad that I put my, I don't know what you would call it, uh, fears aside. And I think if I hadn't tried 40 other meds and combinations of meds, and different dosages of meds. I wouldn't have felt comfortable making this decision because I I don't know. I, I would want something that, that could be addictive to be a last resort. But um, I was less nervous before I played hockey. It's, um, I mean, the list goes on and on. I feel like the clouds have lifted um, like a weight is lifted and i feel like if there's a normal i feel like somebody that doesn't have depression must feel now i all have uh, all i have is the self loathing <laughs> um but i wanted to share that with you guys and um you know each person's different I'm not trying to tell anybody else what to do, but I'm very comfortable in my decision. And um, it's so nice to feel good. It is so nice to feel good. Um, Let's get to some surveys. This is, these are the struggle in a sentence surveys. And this first one is from Marmite and Oreos. And she writes about her codependency. I may seem cold and distant, but that is because if I got to know you, I would need you. That was a great one. About her depersonalization disorder. My voice is a stranger's. My face and body change every time I look in the mirror. I am a shapeshifter. I can't imagine how difficult that has to be with to live with. A snapshot from her life. When I nonchalantly say, oh, sorry, I completely forgot to reply to your text about you inviting me out to the theater. What I really meant was I saw your text the second it came through and had been obsessively agonizing over it constantly, but I couldn't come up with an excuse to cover my horrendous social anxiety, so I just hoped that it would go away. Oh, my God, I bet so many people relate to that one. Thank you for that. Um, dipshit McDumassian, uh, who we, we've read surveys from before, Uh, He writes uh, about his anxiety. Uh, The soles of my shoes squeak. My pant legs noisily brush against each other with each step. I'm walking wrong. My clothes don't fit right. The sleeves are too big for my tiny arms. My torso fat will never go away, no matter how much I starve myself. My hair stubble is growing unevenly. My glasses are crooked. My beard isn't dense enough. My resting asshole face is stuck on with glue or something. I want to kick that baby to make it shut up. I'm so lonely. I shouldn't have gone outside today. I'm so lonely, and everyone knows it. Buddy sending you a hug sending you a hug and we're sending that one first class you know a lot of times we try to save money on the show but uh anybody having a problem having a problem with their resting asshole face uh we overnight we overnight hugs to resting asshole faces i don't even know what that means but i like it i think that's a thing a resting asshole face is that like just your face when you're not making any facial expressions Uh, the other thing that's nice is I'm not having as much trouble putting sentences together, finding, searching for words, still do a little bit, but, um, anyway, uh, Mies writes about her anorexia. I thought I had locked this door a long time ago to keep myself safe. What I really did was lock myself inside with the monster. God, that is so profound. Snapshot from her life, laying on the floor after work for 45 minutes, trying to motivate myself to do anything, exercise, cook dinner, read, eventually bargain myself down to something I can force myself to do, or give up and lay on the ground for another 45 minutes. Either way, I feel pathetic. Oh, man. We know how you feel. We know how you feel. And it sucks. It sucks to... Yeah, oh, sending you some love this is filled out by cc and uh about being a sex crime victim she writes i hate you for having a magical story of how you lost your virginity and then a snapshot from her life i was 14 he was some loser 50 year old army officer for over a decade i have known your name and what state you live in yet i do nothing there's my magical story But please ask me again why I let him inside. Or why I didn't run away. Or why I didn't tell anyone. Tell me again it's my fault. Thanks, Mom. I fear that I'm inadequate. Fear that I'm inadequate. So recently I've been punching myself a lot. Sometimes I feel like my full time job mental illness i'm here with uh, Zach and Sarah Goodson. Uh, we did another episode i don 't know which one will air in which order, but uh, uh, Zach and Sarah are married. I know both of them from uh, from support groups and we Zach sat in when we heard sarah 's story, and so I thought it would be interesting when I recorded Zach to have Sarah sit in on his story and zach i I've been wanting to record you for a long time you're um, I say it to you all the time, but you're one of the sweetest, gentlest men that I know. You're somebody I've always felt really safe with in our in our support groups. Here's what I don't like about you. <laughs> <laughs> He's got to live long enough. Don't worry. <laughs> it is such an old chestnut of mine on the show. People that are regular listeners are like rolling their eyes, like, oh. Here, here for we the go 350th <laughs> time he uses that same joke um you there's so many big pieces uh to talk about in your story uh, how old are you i am 42 okay and um talk about your mom diving right
3: into it <laughs> yeah <laughs> um okay uh mom uh mom was an actress uh diana highland um she, uh, she
2: passed away when I was three and a half years old. Um, she know. was a very well-known actress. She was in everything in the, in the seventies. Yeah. Sixties uh, and seventies. Go ahead. Did a lot of television, Yeah, uh, a lot of television, mostly
3: guest spots, but uh, she had a couple of, uh, shows where she was a regular on and,
2: um, liked and loved by all. Um, she was, she met, uh, and, and I don't want this to be like gossipy, you know, who, oh, she lived with this celebrity, but it's a part <laughs> of the story was, um, uh, she did the movie, the boy in the plastic bubble, with John mm-hmm. Travolta and did they, did they marry or they were just, uh, partners, partners. Okay.
3: Yeah. They, uh, apparently they fell in love, uh, um, from working with one another and spending time uh, offset together and, um, she had separated from my father when I was I think between six months and a year old um, and uh, the, she and John fell madly in love and um, there's been books written about them, and uh, lots of pictures um, like People magazine and Life magazine shoots and whatnot and uh, yeah they were they were a good item and was she sick when
2: she was doing uh, the boy in the plastic bubble
3: uh, no as far as I know, she wasn't sick okay um it was uh it was afterwards when she was on eight is enough okay um she was the original mother on eight is enough and she was before they started shooting the show she was diagnosed um she went through treatment and uh was everything appeared to be clear and she went to work and I think they filmed two maybe three episodes and then the cancer came back and apparently it was everywhere and um she filmed the fourth episode, didn't tell anybody on the show um that she was dying and uh and then finally it came to the point where she couldn't even do the show they were They were writing episodes with her being out of town, mm-hmm. and she would call in and have conversations with her husband on the show and but she was really too sick to come to work.
2: Have you watched any of those episodes
3: years ago? Um, what, what was that like?
2: knowing that that voice that you're hearing was somebody. Knowing their their fate—that that must be so painful. Um, yes and no. Were you just um, totally numbed out at that point?
3: I think at that point I was totally numbed out. Uh, but since then I've watched other things that she's done. um mm. uh, I watched an episode of The Fugitive that she did, and uh, an episode of Twilight Zone that she did. Which and,
2: Twilight Zone was it?
3: Um, I don't remember the name of the episode, but it was she was. Uh, um, uh, she played twins. two characters. Yeah, it was twins, like the 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 good wo- the, the good uh, woman and then the evil woman, and it was like the el- evil woman lived on the other side of the hill and and would chase her around, and she played both of those characters, and that was great. Did you uh, laugh? Or I did. Wasn't too sad? No, no, I did. It's a trip to to you know like what you mentioned to watch to watch somebody on on screen who okay, that's my mom, I see her, I recognize her, to hear her voice, which I don't have any recollection of whatsoever, to see her mannerisms, how she moved, how she acted. Um, But the bigger trip for me has been roles that she's played where it almost seems like she's talking to me. Um, I know that sounds a little bit bizarre, but... I don't think that
2: sounds bizarre at all. That sounds um, really sweet. Like she
3: played a character in The Fugitive. This was done in the 60s, before I was even conceived, and she was a crazy woman who kidnapped somebody's child and made it her own. And then when they finally found out where this kid had gone to and they took the kid away from her to hear her screaming, my baby, you're taking my baby. And that one really fucked with me because it was like, Oh my God. So, I mean, is that, is that what she was feeling when, when she was passing knowing that I was going away, she was going away. Um, so that one really got me emotional. Um, Stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> minor minor things like minor, that. Minor things. Uh, What's
0: strange is how much he looks like her. Yeah? Like seeing her facial mannerisms in these films and in these TV shows. It's like, I mean, just, you look just like her.
2: Mm-hmm. Have, have you ever sat with him while he watches?
0: Um, did we watch the episode of Twilight Zone together? I don't think so. Maybe I w- just watched that on my own. Um... So, no, I mean, there's nothing mm. memorable that, that I can think of, you know. But done my own research, of course. <laughs>
2: what was that like?
0: It's neat. Um, it For me, at least. Um, I wish I would have had the honor of knowing her personally. Um, the talented woman that she, she is and was. Um, but the legacy that she's left behind, which I think Zach will probably talk a little bit about this. The inspiration she was to other people... Who were in their own bits of pain you know at the end Mm. of her life who had no idea she was sick and the inspiration she brought um she was a light she was a light and i you know zach uh i picked my partner well (laughs) you know he's a light and (laughs) so in that way i see you know what she was in hollywood at that time which john's even talked to us in more detail recently about was that she was just the she was the light in hollywood people loved and adored her and so for zach you know i see i see him and i've told him this several times uh, consistently he's a light he's living out that legacy you know that Mm -hmm. that she was about um so i think it's really beautiful to see yeah Mm
2: -hmm. so you still have contact with uh with John,
3: yeah, 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 he. uh We're actually getting ready to celebrate a, a, our year anniversary, and he was he was at our wedding.
2: Oh, nice.
3: Um, so, I mean, everything came full circle at our mm-hmm. wedding. I mean, you know, really the the old tapes that I used to play all the time in my head just weren't weren't reality. um I mean, the man who who I really loved as a kid. I mean, he he taught me how to ride a bicycle. That's what a father teaches a son how to do. Um, camping trips together.
2: Um, he uh, I just have to interrupt for one second just <laughs> give, keep your thought but the first time Zachary is not somebody that you know is ever boastful about anything do you remember a group of us were out after our meeting I think we were doing the trampoline thing together, and we all went out for pizza afterwards. And somebody said, let's play a game where we go around the table, and everybody reveals something about yourself that nobody would ever guess. And it got to you, and you went, John Travolta taught me how to ride a bike. And we were all like, what the fuck? I forgot I did that. (laughs) But go ahead. That's hilarious. Yeah.
3: Oh.
0: And it's true. Yeah, it's true.
3: Um, He's a good man.
0: Um, I mean, Diana died in his arms. Yeah. I mean, there was such a a connection there. He mm-hmm. tried to adopt Zachary, um, and
3: your dad you wouldn't go for it.
0: We're unclear about what the details yeah, are. Yeah, it's
3: a little muddy the the childhood past. Um, and, but yeah, it's it's yeah. he apparently he wanted me to to live with him, and and custody was given to my father naturally. Um,
0: but then his sister, John's sister, tried to also adopt you, and that didn't. I mean, I the whole family either. was mm-hmm. rallying. I mean, they loved Zachary and still do. Yeah. yeah.
2: And, and was there a sense back then that your dad's problems were going to, they could sense that this is going to be a tough childhood for this kid if his dad raises him?
3: I, I, I
2: think so. I mean, John talked about that a little mm-hmm. bit uh, when we were at dinner uh,
3: at his house um, a couple months back. Um, he made, made mention of that, like, oh, okay, you know, I, I mean, he knew my father was just at the time. I say at the time, because he really is a good man today, but at the time, he didn't have his shit together. He was a mess. Um, You know, he was cheating on my mom left and right when they were together. Um, And he'll be the first one to admit that today. He's like, Mm -hmm. I was a really bad husband. Um, In terms of a father, I don't know if if they all knew what type of a job he would do, because I don't think they spent enough time with him and me all in one Mm -hmm. room together. I was constantly going back and forth from moms to dads to moms to dads.
2: <laughs> yeah, to nannies. <laughs> uh, to nannies. <laughs> you were starting to list uh, some things about uh, taught you how to ride a bike, and then you were going to add something on to that.
3: Oh, just childhood memories. Um, yeah, he bought me my first bike and taught me how to ride it. He, he used to pick me up in his plane and we'd fly up to Santa Barbara and spend a weekend at his ranch in Santa Barbara, and um, we take
0: went. Take you to set.
3: Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was spent time on the set of Urban Cowboy. I used to jump (laughs) off the mechanical bull into the the soft um, mattresses below, and uh, yeah, it was it was a blast. And and he was a wonderful man. From what I remember, he just he loved me to pieces.
0: Well, he still does. He could not keep it together at our wedding. I mean, he bawled like a baby the whole time. It was really beautiful to see. Yeah, he loves you. That's sweet. So. Mm -hmm.
2: fair to say that you have always felt safe and nurtured, uh, around him?
3: Yes. I, I do a, a slight hesitation there because there's a specific childhood memory. Um, and it wasn't anything that he did to make me feel unsafe. I think it was just the wiring of my, my little mind that was growing after the, the death of my mother. Um, uh, we were, we had gone camping and we were driving back down a dirt road in one of those camper vans with, you know, the sofas that go down into the mm-hmm. you know bed in the back and the captain's chairs that swivel around and all that. And I'm playing on a captain's chair, swiveling around and having a good time. He's driving and suddenly I had to pee and I had to pee more so than ever in my entire life before. And I didn't know how to tell him. I didn't know how to raise my hand and say, Hey, I got to pee. Can we stop? and I did little dances. I shook, I shivered, and, and finally I noticed a, a styrofoam cup on the floor, and I picked it up, and while we're driving down this bumpy dirt road, I figured <laughs> I'm just going to pee in this in this cup, and I got piss everywhere. It was all over my hand, all over the cup, all over the floor, and all over the chairs, And and it wasn't because he had made me feel unsafe. It was because the wiring in my growing little mind already felt unsafe to be my authentic self and to say, Hey, I got to pee. Can we stop? I was afraid. I really, I I was afraid in that moment to ask for what I needed. Um, so it wasn't anything that he made me afraid of, but I specifically remember being in the presence of an adult in this case, John Travolta and not being able to ask for what I needed. How old were you at that point? Four
2: and a half, five, maybe. Um, something like that. So let's, what are your earliest, I mean, that must have been one of your earliest memories. Definitely. Let's talk about your earliest memories with your dad. Okay.
3: Um, earliest memories with dad was a house that he owned uh, just off of Sunset. Um, it was on Martell. And uh, earliest memories with him were at that house that I would go to every other weekend and that I eventually went to go live full time um, it's just down the street from the Sunset Grill, which mm-hmm. is a famous grill, you know. And back in the day, it was a little hamburger shack that had like five chairs out front and this little old Polish guy who ran it and he loved me. And, he, and my dad and I used to always go there every Friday night and I loved going there. Um, I always ordered the same exact thing. And um, those are probably my earliest childhood memories with my dad. Uh, avocado tree in the backyard and a. Um, a stick with a can attached to the end of it that we would get the avocados down when they were ripe and ready and and his bedroom that was an early childhood memory he had converted the attic into this awesome bedroom and you actually had to the the bed was propped up above the stairs that you walked up to get there and you had to climb up on this bench to get up on this giant massive bed and I I just thought it was the best thing ever
2: so what, what was your give us an arc of your relationship with your dad and how you felt about yourself along the way. Um,
3: the time in, in Hollywood, I think I was just a curious kid for the most part. Um, and, uh, we moved up to Lake Arrowhead when I was six and a half or seven years old. Um, a woman showed up at my, my school, uh, that was a crazy fan of Travolta's. And she tried to check me out because she was going to use me to get to him. And she had a note and everything saying, "I'm here for Zachary Goodson to check out, uh, um, check him out of school, and to bring him uh, back to John." And the school called my dad, and he's like, "Don't you dare release that kid!" And it turns out she was just a crazy fan. So he,
1: wow,
3: he uh, he packed us up and he moved us up to Lake Arrowhead. And he changed instantly once we got up there. He he got into drugs. Um, it was partying every single night. Um, why, do
2: you, why do you think the change?
3: You, you would almost think the opposite. I don't know. You know, it was probably going on in L.A. before we moved, and I didn't realize it. And, and in hindsight, I've talked to people who were in my life, uh, nannies, and um, they've all said, you know, he wasn't really there ever. I mean, the, the, here's a case in point. Um, my second nanny ever, her job interview was at 2 in the morning while my dad was having a party at the house. I was apparently asleep in my bedroom, but he had a house full of people and they were all doing a lot of drugs and doing, drinking a <laughs> lot of alcohol. And she showed up, she got hired. Um, she was a, uh, a waitress, a, a, a whiskey <laughs> at Go-Go. And my dad used to get his Coke from the bouncer. And he asked the guy one day what he was getting Coke from. He's like, do you know anybody who's good with kids? <laughs> <laughs> she's a sweet and, British, and she's British, such a, British woman. Yeah, okay. she's from Wales, and she's this sweet woman. And he and his Robbie was the bouncer, and Robbie said to her one day when they were having dinner after a shift, he's like, "You don't belong here, you know," and and I I know of a good gig for you, and and so that's how she came to be. But, Talk about uh, her, Meryl. Um, I realize we totally veered from your question about that's okay. That. That's
2: okay. Side, we we take a lot of side routes. I like it on the
3: podcast radio voice yeah. yeah um thank you uh, meryl, meryl was a sweet woman um uh she was 22 or 23 years old um she was very british proper or english proper um she grew up in shropshire uh, mm-hmm. wales um, she I was, thought Shropshire was uh England. No. Or is it England? Yeah. yeah. But she well, she's a Welsh girl, I know that. Yeah. Anyways, anyway, uh yeah. we'll look that up when we get back to the Um we learned together. Um I don't remember a lot of time with her other than just driving around in her car with her and a boyfriend of hers who, who was big into soccer and, and we used to kick a ball out in the, the front yard together and Um, but she, I know she cared for me. I know she loved me. Um, and And you're still in contact with her, and still in contact with her. Good old Facebook. She found me, she found me like eight years ago on Facebook, and I flew out there and visited her. And what was that like? It was great. Um, it was really wonderful to reconnect. Uh, in a lot of ways, she's the exact same woman, which can be a little overwhelming. She really kind of bosses you around um in a a polite overly polite way yeah like you should do this not this and darling yes yes and then darling do you want a cup of tea darling but that's that's not bossing but uh um well it's not
0: usually a question it's more like you're gonna have some tea darling (laughs) um
3: wonderful woman and uh and great to reconnect with her uh yeah.
2: So uh, getting back to your dad, you moved to Lake Arrowhead, his drug use escalates, yeah. Meryl, or at least is more visible to you. Merrill comes into the she, Meryl picture.
3: did not make the trip to Arrowhead. Oh, okay. She did not want she to. Uh, uh, she was before Arrowhead. She was before Arrowhead, and she said she didn't want to be isolated up in the mountains.
2: Um, so we got up there, and... Arrowhead, Lake Arrowhead is about two miles outside of Los Angeles, uh, two miles east Two miles. Two miles. I'm, I'm just, uh, two, hours. <laughs> two hours. Closer than Silver Lake. <laughs> Which in Lake. this
3: town sometimes <laughs> takes two hours to go two miles. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's two hours east of Los Angeles in the mountains. Oh, <laughs> yeah, San Bernardino Mountains, uh, kind of north of Palm Springs, uh, by Big Bear. Yeah. Um, and so he, he took me away from John when we did that move. Um, so that was kind of, I didn't realize it at the time, but it was touching on the abandonment wound that mom had left. Meryl didn't make the move. That was also touching on the abandonment wound. And then dad, um, he just started having what I call it, his blue robe days. Um, and where he would just, you know, he'd get up and he'd put on his blue robe and, and, and he would be in that all day long. Didn't get dressed, didn't, shower and then until at nighttime when he would start partying again in his blue robe i don't remember that because i was asleep switched Uh, to a red robe (laughs) yes exactly (laughs) a smoking jacket (laughs) (laughs) um uh, he birthdays went out the window um holidays went out the window
2: he wouldn't do anything for your birthday
3: no i mean i remember like one last birthday when we first moved up there but then they were gone we didn't do anything for holidays either there was no christmas or
2: hanukkah or anything like that it was it was deprivation what do you you remember thinking the first birthday that rolled around where it wasn't i don't
3: i didn't um it just i don't think there was i was in hindsight i don't know how present i was with me um I think it was all about trying to check out and, and just play with friends and escape. Um, so if my birthday rolled around, I don't know. It was never really made a priority. I didn't, you know, I look at Sarah's family and there's so much tradition in her family. I mean, there's boxes upon boxes of videotapes of all all four of you girls. And she's one of, you know, four girls and, in the family. And, and there's just videotapes of all of them from the time they were born until the teenagers. Um my dad didn't take any pictures of me as a kid growing up. There was no sense of family. There was no videotaping anything. There was no acknowledgement. Um, so I don't think I even gave much thought to it the first time a, a birthday rolled around that there wasn't something there. I figured it was probably just something I deserved because that's the type of parenting that he was throwing my way. What Had fantasy begun to play a role in your life yet? Um I mean it just in terms of checking out with toys I mean I would constantly just play with uh,
2: G.I. Joe action figures and I mean there was no Cause, I mean there's a certain amount of fantasy that the kids do they have you know great imaginations and they like to play sure but then there's also the um, where the where they're just where you're completely checked out and it's too painful to be in reality in the now that was
3: not going on in fact
2: Again, in hindsight, looking back,
3: um, I would have to say that I was I was present to what he was taking me through, um, because if at least I was relevant, I might have been a piece of shit in Dad's world, because that's the way he, he treated me. But I was Dad's piece of shit, so I was I was conscious to everything that was going on, and I wasn't checking out because I was something rather than nothing. If that makes sense, it does um, make sense. So I I, I was like. Oh, dad's in a bad mood again. It must have been something that I did because he never sat me down and he never said, Hey, you know, when I barged into your room at two in the morning, throwing dresser drawers literally everywhere against the wall and smashing things and like a, a literally a tornado whipping through your child's room and telling me to stop crying and to shut up. I, I never questioned it. He never, and well, and they never sat me down the next morning saying, Hey, son, I was really messed up that night and I'm so sorry for what I did. Never apologized for any of that stuff. So I just assumed. Naturally, that I was just being me was bad in and of itself. Um, and I didn't check out because at least I was dad's bad little um, piece of shit.
2: I mean, you must have been constantly on edge. Yes. Analyzing and microanalyzing every single thing you did. How scary is it for you to make a mistake today? It's, it's, it's very scary. Talk about talk about perfectionism and and making
3: mistakes. Um, I was reading in, in a in a Brene Brown book uh, how she talks about how perfectionism is is you'll do whatever you have to do to minimize shame and fear and rage. Um, and yeah, as a kid, it was if I could be as close to perfect as possible, I'll minimize father's outbursts. Um, and today, uh, if I'm not conscious of it, it's, it renders me, it, 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 I'm paralyzed because of it. Um, I've been trying to write a book for the last three and a half years. And because it's perfect in my head, I haven't really moved forward much than, I mean, I've got a lot of content down on, 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 on paper but um it's just easier at times to just live in the head and just like in that perfect little world where everything's like yeah it's a perfect best-selling novel and <laughs> i'm on oprah and <laughs> it's a new york times bestseller and 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 that's perfect in my head uh, messy in my household in our household was it equaled pain and suffering um if I didn't know the answer to a a math question, he would back me into the corner of the wall and jab his finger at my chest and scream at me. And, um, not until I knew the answer. And then he'd finally do the work for me. Um, so I was just terrified of being wrong. Uh, I'm terrified at times of saying the wrong thing. Um, if I'm being honest, you know, I can, I find myself censoring myself through, through this right now. I I know there's been things that have come up where I'm like, Ooh, I would have said that, or I should have just let loose. I don't know how to let loose and just be, um, I'm learning and I'm better today than I ever have been. But, um, yeah, I think letting loose and just being, is just being the authentic Zach instead. It's like that perfectionism shield that I carry around with me.
2: What have you censored that, that you wanted to say, or you caught yourself starting to say?
3: Oh, I think it's, it's, it's it, rather than a pause before I open up my mouth. I think, and I don't, I don't remember the specifics. Um, uh, it was probably just, no, I don't remember the specifics, Okay, uh, but I know there's been, it, throughout this uh, experience so far, it's, I, I find myself monitoring everything that i'm gonna say it happens quickly in the brain and then i'm like okay that works for me and i'm gonna just say that it's bizarre (laughs) yeah
2: i I think there are few minds that work as fast as uh (laughs) those that were forged in a hypercritical household Mm. there's a um I think that's why a lot of uh, people are, are uh, a lot of improv actors Mm -hmm. (laughs) come from really fucked up, (laughs) really (laughs) fucked up houses. Um, so give me some more snapshots of childhood and and adolescence.
3: Um,
0: you should tell the 4th of July story on the boat. Oh, I mean, that's just funny.
3: (laughs) (laughs) my, My father's a charming man. Um, and he had his good days. Uh, and I, I, well, what she's referring, what Sarah's referring to was, uh, they were wasted on, on a, we, we lived on a lake and we were, they were on a boat and water skiing all day long. And who's they? His, he and his friends, my dad and okay. his friends. and. The kids never got to play, really, when the adults were around. It was like the adults are playing, they're skiing, they're drinking, they're having a good time, and the kids can come along for the ride, but you 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 know, you don't get to ski first. You get to ski maybe at the end of the day. And um, Everybody was drunk, my dad included, and uh, one of the boat patrols pulled them over. Um, and when he saw the lights coming on, no, he was letting me drive the boat. I'm sorry. We were driving home, and I'm driving the boat. I don't In remember how old are this. You? <laughs> Probably eight or nine years old. And driving a boat. Driving a boat motorboat and I was a good driver. Uh, and the, the, the boat patrol pulled us over. I don't know how they do that in the middle of the lake, but they do. And, Mm -hmm. and my dad's like, uh, I forget exactly what the guy said. My dad says the story so much better, but he's like, what's going on here? There's a kid driving a boat. He doesn't have a license. He's not to be doing this. And my dad's in his drunken coke induced state. He's like, what are you talking about? This is not a kid. This is a 40 year old midget. And, <laughs> and, and, and I mean, but he was, he was just so fast with stuff like that. And the boat patrol guy laughed his ass off and he's like, just get home safe. And, um, those were his good days, uh, his bad days. Um, you know, he w- would ground me all the time for things I can't even remember. I think in, again, in hindsight, it was his way of controlling me. Um, uh, but it wouldn't be for a day at a time. It would be for weeks at a time. Um, and he took soccer away from me one time and I loved soccer. It was like my little freedom outlet. And, uh, I'll never forget this one week. He, he had told me at the beginning of the week, you're not playing in soccer on Saturday. And I was crushed. And on Saturday morning, um, he came bursting into my room and he's like, put your uniform on. You're going to play. And you've never seen a kid move so fast. And, and we got to the game just before kickoff, and the coach had the team in a circle. And he made me get in the middle of that circle and tell everybody that I had been a bad boy and that I couldn't play in front of parents and coaches. And The, co- and, the coach made you do that? No, my dad made me do that. So he, he made
2: you get dressed all...
3: And took me to the just game. Just to shame you at the Just to game. shame me right in front of everybody. And soccer was never the same ever again. Um... And he took my hand, dragged me back to the car and took me home. Um so that was the devastating stuff that was very repetitive as a child. You know like standing in front of a chalkboard and being made to write over the same thing over and over again until you learn your lesson. Um he I remember one morning when I was 9 him screaming at me because I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. I was 9. I was a 9-year-old supposed to know what you want to be when you grow up and and then he'd, you know, he'd scream at me for so long that I'd miss a school bus. And then he would say, let see what you'd happen, you know, what made happen. And now I got to take you to school and come on and scream at me the whole way to school. And he'd open up the car door or I would, and, and I'd get out. And it was, I had to put on, you know, a little mask of sorts to make sure that nobody saw what was going on at our house. Um, and there was countless women coming and going. Uh, my dad's on his sixth marriage now. Um, And when I was 12, he had blown millions of dollars either up his nose or on bad real estate deals. And uh, he lost her house and I had to go live with my best friend's family for two years. My dad couldn't afford to take care of me anymore. Um, And that was probably one of the best things that ever happened to me. Uh, Because they modeled for me a a family. I mean, they sat down for family dinners. We, We never did that at our house. It was literally tuna fish or egg salad. Or bagels every night of the week. Um, we didn't go to
2: doctors. How do you feel about uh, tuna fish to this day?
3: I, I like it. It's do just you? not on a regular basis. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, they, they sat down for family meals. They'd sit down as a family and, and have Friday night movie night and they'd make popcorn or homemade ice cream. It was, they modeled for me a way of living that I had never seen before. Um, they went to Hawaii. I got to go to Hawaii. Their, their son got a snowboard for Christmas. They got me a snowboard for Christmas. They, they were such
2: warm, welcoming people. Do you think they had a sense of how fucked up your life was with your dad?
3: Yes. Uh, not at the time, but I, years later I spoke to uh, my friend's dad and he's like, Zach, we all saw it. We all saw everything that was going on there. Um, so that was, uh. I don't know if it was helpful to hear or reassuring to hear, but it was, I didn't know. I was oblivious to it as a kid.
2: What if you could get in a time machine and go back and talk to 10 or 12 year old Zach, what, what would you say?
3: Um, I'm getting emotional cause I've, I've done that a lot, uh, through years of, of, of therapy and program. And, um, and I've told him before that he did nothing wrong, that he isn't wrong. Um, I've told him that I'm here to take care of him now. And, um, I just tried to reassure him that everything was, was okay. And I've also thanked him because I, I, I couldn't be where I am at today if it wasn't for, um, that little kid who really gave up everything. He gave up his whole entire childhood. I couldn't be here today if it wasn't for him. So I've tried to thank him for that, um, to honor him for that. Cause nobody did when he was a kid. Um, and he really, uh, he deserves to be honored for that. I think anybody who's gone through any sort of childhood trauma, um, that little child in all of us deserves to be honored and loved you when know, you give up so much stuff it's uh that's what i've told him that's what i'll try my best to continue to remember to tell him um,
2: so yeah it's been so great and our support group watching that process mm-hmm. of you learn to love yourself and take care of yourself as he was talking about that Sarah what were you what were you thinking or or feeling
0: oh well I mean we have a shared childhood wound that looks different but it's still just as deep um and actually I think you know the way that you phrased it just now that you know that inner wounded child deserves to be acknowledged for what they got you through you know? Um and uh and I I I appreciate that even in our marital dynamic, there's adult Sarah and Zach that can talk, and sometimes there's childhood Sarah and Zach that can talk. And it's been a process of both of us being able to articulate like, ooh, okay, this is this is an old wound that's coming up right now. Um, you know, it's, it's bringing, there's, there's something coming up that is, I'm allowing to bring into this adult experience together. Um, so I guess I just, you know, on the one hand, I feel like, wow, just listening to you helps me be reminded to have a lot of grace for little Sarah as well, but then also just pure admiration for my partner who has done that work. So many people don't. Um, it's a brave process. And so I sit in admiration of this man who's 42 years old and in touch with himself enough to know that it's okay to sometimes feel that little kid inside who is wounded and then to redirect and reparent, as you said. Um, so I just have so much admiration, growing admiration for this man and the process that we both get to be a part of.
2: You know, I remember the first couple of times that you... Got vulnerable in our support group, and the tears just started flowing, and you were talking about how scared you were of mm. letting us see you. do you remember oh you remember? definitely what do you what do you remember thinking or feeling or um any moments from that early early time um and this would have been like what six years ago,
3: yeah, yeah, well, five and a half okay yeah close enough um fear. <laughs> um, I mean, your face would just get so oh, red. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it, yeah. And the back of my neck would feel like it was on fire. Like well, people could, would put eggs on yeah, the back of your neck yes, and exactly. cook them. <laughs> he just totally stole my line there. I was yep. <laughs> um, it's
0: okay. It's his show. <laughs> but
3: yeah, this is true. It, but I, I, I... That's where like all of my shame is stored. Mm. Um, I remember being done sharing some of that stuff and, and my shirt being drenched from head to toe, literally not just under the armpits, but literally just sopping wet because it was just pouring out shame. Um, I remember being afraid, uh, my, my chest would be pounding. Um, what were the fears? The fear was, you know, I'm going to be laughed at. I'm going to be ridiculed. I'm going to be judged.
2: Um, and what, what were the things you thought people would think or say? You're you're weak, you're silly, oh, you're what? What? Yeah,
3: oh, that's that's all that happened to him? Or mm-hmm. he's crying over that? Man up. Um, but it also,
2: you Is know. That, was that a thing your dad would tell you to, to man up?
3: No, but he would tell me to shut up when I was crying. Yeah. Yeah. And he would scream at me until I did shut up. And it was like you basically shove all of the emotions down into whatever deep, dark, pit they go to that's known as
2: shut down college yes <laughs> phd's here <laughs> that's funny um yeah and they
3: i just knew that it was time for this stuff to to come up i mean that's, that's the beauty of the support groups right of those that come before us who who model for us that courage um to be vulnerable um I was amazed. I'll never forget the first time I ever shared, um, that soccer story was in a meeting. Um, never shared it before ever with anybody. And I just started bawling probably two sentences into it. And I cried through the entire share. Afterwards, I kept crying. I cried through all the closing statements and prayers and all of that. And then this, this guy who I barely even knew to my right, he's like, can I give you a hug? And I was like, yes. And, and I just sat there and cried on his shoulder and I looked up and there was literally a line of every single guy that was in that meeting in line, waiting to come and give me a hug or a handshake. And, and it, and they all thanked me for my courage and, and, and uh, my vulnerability and they all could relate in one way or another. Um, and I was just blown away. Um, it was, yeah, quite amazing
2: sarah you were you were talking uh, a little earlier talk- uh about there's the adult dynamic
1: mm-hmm.
2: between you two, and then there's the childhood dynamic between Can you give me an example of each of those um and how you navigate knowing because <laughs> I would imagine there's times when you one of you doesn't realize the other person is being triggered into that kid in you mm. feeling threatened mm-hmm. um you know what I'm saying, right? For asking. <laughs> sure.
0: Um I'm agreeable. I'm a good codependent. Um I'm trying to you can do any examples. Okay, well, I'll riff off of what you would share then.
3: Okay. Um we were it was a Friday night. We were home. We oh, were This is specific. <laughs> oh yeah. No, I cuz I was just writing about it the other day. <laughs> We had pizza, we had drinks, we were watching movies and, and I was doing an over the top cheesy accent. And yeah. and Sarah's she's and laughing, she yeah. was like, You're a horrible actor.
2: Yeah.
3: And and it really struck a chord, like immediately. Um because I had tried my hand at acting, I tried following mom's footsteps and I did not succeed. Um and it it hurt so bad what she said, but I rather than just saying hey honey let me explain to you what's coming up for me right now i excused myself i went into the bathroom and i and i let little kid run run the ship he had his hands on the steering wheel Mm -hmm. and i was like i'm gonna show her i'm gonna be the best actor she's ever seen right now (laughs) and i came out (laughs) of the bathroom and so i'm using real emotions now but i'm manipulating them and i was like oh it's just so hurt and 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 then Sarah being the loving, kind partner Hurt that she is.
0: comment, right? Yes. And, right, and yeah.
3: she's like, oh, my God, honey, are you okay? And I'm like, see, I got you. I was acting just now, and you fell for it. And see, I am a good actor. And and But it was a little kid that was doing that. <laughs> wow. And she, I remember she got <laughs> so pissed. That's so meta on so many levels. Oh, That's man. <laughs> it, was, it was bad. And, and she, rightfully so, was like, I don't feel safe with you right now. And and that was like little kid zackie lashing out i was indulging the little child in me who wanted to lash out and and feel better about himself um and the next morning we we actually talked about it as as adults the way it should have been done and i was like look a i have to apologize for my behavior from the night before b this is what i should have said from the get-go it really struck a chord and and i tried my hand at acting and I, i I feel like a failure because I couldn't follow in mom's footsteps and, and she then she opened up and shared and we were both crying and we both connected that way, the way we, you know, adults should talk about things and, and connect, <laughs> not little kids running the show and, mm-hmm. and, uh, lashing back out if they're triggered. Uh,
2: that's a great example. Wow. Yeah.
0: That, yeah, that's, that's better than any story. <laughs> <that I came laughs> in my mind. Yeah. What,
2: what childhood part of you gets, uh, trigger what are what are some of the things that bring up your childhood
0: um i think i mean it's not necessarily and i mean sometimes in our dynamic this might play out no okay here's an example i never felt chosen by my family and i mean you know my story i don't Mm. know you know when my story is airing or this story is airing Mm. first whatever but you know, my family never chose to protect me. So physically present, but emotionally vacant. So my uncle who molested me, my mom's brother, they still maintained a relationship with him. We never talked about it. Um, they allowed him to move in and saddle me with that decision two years after the incident when I was 10. And, you know, um, even in my divorce seven years ago, they never cut ties with my ex-husband, my sisters or my parents and a lot of friends decided that they were going to stay friends with both of us. And so I have this wound that says, if I'm not chosen, like, it's the best friend syndrome. Like, I just wanted a best friend all the time. I'm 100% their person. They're 100% my person. I mean, it's my love addiction completely. Apply it to males, apply it to females in a best friend, you know, dynamic. Feeling like I am the most important thing to that person um, is, is still something that I can struggle with. And that comes along with, um, I'm very sensitive to criticism. I'm sensitive to not being seen or heard in the ways that I want to be seen or heard. Um, so, you know, I think maybe how little Sarah comes out sometimes is feeling like, he doesn't get upset enough about certain situations I'm upset about, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like you need to hate my ex more than I hate my ex <laughs> kind of situation, <laughs> and sometimes that's with my family, you know, yeah. um he so doesn't there- have the baggage he ha- you know I have with my family. he's like, your dad's fine, and I'm like he's so mean, <laughs> you know whatever <laughs>
2: um yeah, so there's kind of an element of wanting to to be protected as well,
0: absolutely, yeah,
2: absolutely, yeah. mhm, yeah, um. Talk about then your like your teenage years, unless there's something we, we're skipping over, uh, Zach. Um, how your how you began to cope in the world? Um,
3: I think I first started to cope when I was uh, nine or ten years old, when I found a Playboy magazine sitting on my, top of my dad's toilet, and the surge of adrenaline that went through my my little nine year old body was just better than anything I'd I'd ever felt before. Um, and, and I immediately wanted more. Um, uh, dad had the Playboy channel. So whenever he wasn't home, I would search for the remote and turn it on and, and check out with that, uh, cope. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, when I moved in with my best friend's family, they didn't have any of that lying around. So I, I turned to sports illustrated swimsuit issues and and checked out in fantasy in that regard. Um, and that just kind of blossomed from there. Um, and this was before puberty,
2: obviously this. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I mean, I, it's, I was going through puberty while I lived with, with, with their family. I think that Mm -hmm. was the first time I ever, um, masturbated was when I was 12 years old living at their house. Mm -hmm. Um, locked myself in one of the bathrooms and I think everybody in their house was home. And I was like, I need to do this right now. Um, uh, and it was just a pattern that was born.
2: So, uh, safe to say that, that masturbation became, uh, a way for you to soothe yourself, uh, as well as a sexual outlet. Yeah, definitely.
3: Um, sexualizing my emotions, um, checking out with, with masturbation,
2: with any sort of fantasy um, uh, how would how would you express to somebody who doesn 't understand um, the the difference between um, bringing healthy pleasure to yourself through masturbation or using sex as a way to deal with your emotions how would you how would you define that because obviously it 's a continuum mm. it 's not a black or white thing, but how would you guys um i mean, elaborate I, on that.
3: Yeah. Uh, for me, um, like living, living with my best friend's family, even though they were so wonderful to me, I felt like a stranger there. Um, and, and uh, I, I, you know, I, if I got hungry, was it okay for me to go eat when I want to eat? Is it, I want to watch TV. Is it okay for me to, to want to watch TV, uh, even though nobody else in the house is watching TV? Um, so I kind of walked around on eggshells there as well. And whenever any of those, uncomfortable thoughts or emotions uh, came up i found myself wanting to go in the bathroom and check out with the sports illustrated swimsuit edition mm-hmm. um so i mean that's my definition of that not i mean it wasn't like hey this is amazing and i want to explore myself it was i'm very uncomfortable here um this doesn't feel like home uh even though these people are wonderful i i, I feel like a, a guest and is it okay to have even other friends outside of this place and mm-hmm. I don't like these uncomfortable feelings and I should probably go and masturbate. Mm. And what at its
2: most frequent what would it uh how frequent would it have been?
3: Oh, I, I mean I
2: it, once a day. Okay. Yeah.
0: Not compulsive.
3: No, no, it was okay. always it was always once a day, maybe once or twice a day. Um
2: and which sounds pretty teenage, but it also sounds like the 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 emotional energy behind it. Was the part that wasn't, yes, wasn't healthy. Yeah.
3: It was all the stuff that my head was telling me that I was trying to run from and escape from this. Right. You're worthless. You're a loser. You're nobody. I mean, I, 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 even when I was a kid, you know, it was, it wasn't that extreme, but it was also that extreme, you know, yeah. everybody else on the block has a new skateboard. Why don't I have a new skateboard and I should have a new skateboard and dad won't buy me yeah. one. And clearly I'm not worthy of a new skateboard and, and I wanted to escape all of that stuff. Um, it was just all uncomfortable feelings and, and emotions.
2: And it, do you remember what you would uh, fantasize about? Was it just strictly about the female form? Was there any emotional fantasy about, you know, um, connecting or was it just kind of objectification? A um, little bit of both. There was definitely
3: objectification, but I wanted. I wanted that woman, whoever I was looking at. I wanted them to tell me I was okay. I wanted them to to put their arms around me and say, "You're okay," I, you know. And and um, more so than that, if I'm to get more more specific, I wanted to be. I wanted to know that I was lovable. Um, I was so programmed at that point in time to just believe that I was not likable and not lovable. And I and then now we're going back to the mom wound. And I wanted a woman to tell me that I was enough. Uh, and also, and, and if, if I could please a woman, then I would really know that I was enough. Um,
2: right now I know there are a lot, a lot of, uh, the female listeners kind of going, wow, I didn't know men experience that too. Mm. Um, so many people have, have such, mm. um, entrenched binary ideas of what male and female sexuality are. And, um, for a lot of us men i think we we don't even realize that that's what we want um i mean how long was it until you realized that underneath the um objectification and the acting out that it was really an emotional longing to be to be validated how long
3: um well i lost my virginity when i was 22 um I definitely think we should circle back around to that in a second. Um it wasn't until I I found myself in uh, support groups. Um I, I mean I really it wasn't until I So hit, in your thirties. Hit rock bottom, yeah. Late late thirties, thirty seven thirty seven years old, yeah. Um, I was clueless. I mean I just did not know. I thought I mean really it was it was okay, um, this next woman, she's, she's it. She's going to complete me. She's going to make all my pain go away. Um, and if I was able to connect with her, um, the pain would go away temporarily. And the next day it would be right back where I started. And then I was like, okay, well, I need to now have this other woman. If, 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 if she didn't go away, um, no, sorry. If, if she didn't want to connect with me, then it was just touching on that abandonment wound all over, like, okay, I'm being abandoned here again, and I'm not lovable, I'm not likable. My mom left me when I was a little kid. Clearly, this girl's going to do the same thing. So it was, I was looking for a mom. I was also looking for... Do you think
2: you were conscious at that point that that's what you were looking for, or was it all sexualized? It
3: was all sexualized.
2: So it was about, I, I want to have sex with this person, I'm attracted to them, but you couldn't you you weren't conscious of, of the underlying level of, of emotion underneath it. I
3: was clueless. It was all about,
2: to you, it was all about fucking and breasts and vaginas, etc.
3: Yep. Yep, every single day. It was uh, like my thesis paper. It was all I could think about. It was a second full-time job. What did it look like at its worst, if you're comfortable? Yeah, I'm comfortable. At its worst, um, being on a swinger's website and sleeping with two or three different people a day going to somebody's house at midnight who I'd never met before and sleeping with them and then coming home at three in the morning and sleeping for three hours and having somebody at my door at six in the morning and sleeping with them and um taking somebody at their word that they i mean i used protection but you know i never i never sat down and said you know had that conversation do you have any stds no great do you? No, I'm fine. Let's do this. It was, um, let's fuck first and let's ask questions after. Um, and I, it got to the point where it, it, it started to hurt afterwards. The pain that I felt afterwards outweighed the high that I got in the moment.
2: Um, you mean the, the emotional pain?
3: Yeah. Yeah. I felt like I, it got to the point where it felt like I was beating my head against a brick wall and I was killing myself. Um, that was, that was at its worst, lowest point.
2: And were you getting suicidal?
3: No, I, I've never, I've never, I don't think gotten suicide. I've never gotten suicidal, no. Mm. But I've had fantasies that I've played out in my head for years. Um, my 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 favorite go-to one was always dying in a car accident. Uh, I'd be on the phone with my father and we'd be talking and I'm in my car and he's at home listening. And suddenly there's a horrific you know crash a screech of tires and and i'm clearly in an accident and my father's screaming on the other, other end trying to figure out what's going on and i pick up the phone and in a very weak voice i'm like dad that's was in an accident and i i die and the fantasy continues to play out where i see my father at my memorial um and he's gushing and he's crying and it's like i had to die to see my father express emotions towards me wow so that was a that was my go-to for the longest time so i would never have suicidal thoughts like i need to kill myself but i would kill myself in my in my fantasy um just to see how my father would react and to see how many other people would would come to the forefront oh my god zach was amazing and he was such a good man and
2: because um, i didn't know how to i didn't know how to give that to myself one of the things that people frequently uh share in the surveys that they take is they fantasize about um coming down with some type of illness where they're <laughs> hospitalized and then they could feel the the love or the support or they could you know the they would know where other people stood mm-hmm. with them but essentially they want their outsides to match their insides so they can be seen so mm-hmm. their pain can be can be seen-. Mm-hmm uh what do you what do you think is your is you're listening to to all this because you you knew uh, a lot of this stuff mm-hmm. about zach um when you guys first started dating um how did you how did you navigate uh, that what were your thoughts and feelings then are they different now huh.
0: um let's see at the time well i mean i just i resonated myself cause we're in the same, in the same community group, you know, Mm -hmm. the same support group. So, um, like there was a year there where I would hear his stories in the rooms. He would hear my stories in the room before anything romantic happened. So there was already a mutual respect, I I think, and comfort. And wow, this person knows what withdrawal feels like. They're facing the insatiability that's been there, right? That's, Um, they've had really dark stories they'd rather not relive. Um, so I, you know, for me, I think I found uh, a great deal of resonance and a great deal of comfort knowing that even though we have different stories, we, we've both worked on that. We've faced the demon in the eye and we are choosing intentionally to have a different life. Um, So, you know, I think there was a part of me that was like, you know, well, how many people has he slept with and how many people have I slept, you know, wanting Mm -hmm. to compare and, um, you know, whose stories are worse. And I got the best advice from one of my, uh, it wasn't really advice. It was more just a word of wisdom with uh, another one of my girlfriends. And she just said, Sarah, it's none of your business. You know, is he showing up? Is he consistent? Is his character, you know, showing to be, you know, that he's someone different and, you know, and I just thought, oh yeah, like none of that stuff matters. Um, it's not about the numbers. It's not about anything other than, okay, what's today and who is he committed to being today and who am I committed to being today? Um, so that, you know, there's a lot of comfort in knowing we've both traveled a similar road. Um, and and that we're choosing to be different people. That
2: must feel very safe. Um, it does. Having somebody that you know knows in their bones what it feels like to have gone to the edge of the precipice and looked over mm-hmm. and decided, uh, I need to learn a new way of living.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And and I am not my shame.
0: <laughs> right. Well, and having room for each other's shame. uh. uh having room for each other's vulnerability where there could be shame and reminding each other of who you are today. You know, shame has no place in our home. Shame has no place in our relationship.
2: Do you ever find yourselves um, feeling shame about your sexuality with each other? And then it becoming uh, you discussing it and saying, you know, I'm feeling, I don't know Shameful or insecure mm-hmm. or whatever. And how do you, how mm-hmm. do you, do you have any examples? How do you navigate that? Two examples. Okay.
0: Um, is it okay to share? Okay. Um So one of them is my stuff and one of them is his stuff. Um, my stuff is um, I know how to do intense, intense, intense sexual connecting at the beginning of a relationship. And then once things are actually safe and healthy. Um, I don't know how to function sexually. Mm. I'm learning how to do that. Um, And that's something that we get to talk about. And it's, it's, you know, we've seen, you know, sex therapist about that who um, is helping, you know, to rewrite the narrative around what sexual connecting and physical connecting is. Um, Because for me, I am most turned on when I am in fear, when I am in a place of panic, or this person's going to leave, or there's something that's not safe about the situation. Mm -hmm. That is when I'm the most aroused and, you know, Mm -hmm. wanting, you know, sexual contact. Well, in a safe marriage where we're working on our stuff and it's safe and there's vulnerability and there's true connection. My mind doesn't like it's having to rewire itself around that. So there are some very real, um, I don't even want to say challenges. There's a learning curve. And I'm really grateful that both of us are showing up and saying, like, we're going to do whatever it takes to engage the process of getting this to the place we want it to be. It's so great that, you're, that you're
2: willing to to work on it. Yeah. You know, what, what's it like for you, Zach, when I would imagine you reach out to her and you're in the mood and she's, I don't know, shut down or in in a place where it's she's struggling. What, what, what's that like for you? I mean, Jesus, that must be so fucking triggering. It's triggering.
3: Um, but I also have to look at what I'm bringing to the plate. Um, and I'm bringing a whole bunch of my own past stuff. Um, it really, it's, you know, talking about working on it together. It's really, um, it's gotten me to look at all of my past behavior so for me it was all about your past touch- behavior with her or no with- just in terms of my sexual history it was okay. all it was all intensity mm-hmm. um kind of like what you were touching base on just mm-hmm. now in terms of fear of fearing somebody leaving or mm-hmm. this or, or what shame
2: is another turbo for mm-hmm. the orgasm yeah
3: mm-hmm. yeah um i mean for me though I, I never had any long-term relationships so it was you build this intensity through phone contact or emails or whatnot you meet and you know we're gonna fuck Mm -hmm. um so everybody's ready to go um when you're and so there's that and then you pile on on top of that years of watching porn so from from what i learned from porn was women are always ready to go um there's no you don't need to uh, romance you, you them don't need to ro- talk you, to them no, and, and so, and,
2: and, and I, <laughs> I've learned from watching porn that a lot of pizzas are misdelivered a lot of pizzas <laughs> yeah. Constantly. Um, there's some oh. comic some comic used to have a joke that I watch so much porn that uh, when I, I get a boner just watching bad acting <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember who it was uh-huh. but go ahead oh. yeah, well, yeah. Okay. no
3: and that, uh-huh. that's what I bring to the table Um you know, I just, that, that's, I've done that for so many years. It's, it's, it's wired, it's grooved into my, my acting out. It's, it's like, okay, I expect her to be ready to go when I'm ready to go. And as we all know, it's a lot easier for a guy to more often than not to get going before, Mm -hmm. um, well, what I've learned for more so than a woman. Um, but I, I was clueless, there's a perfect word for it. I just thought, well, what's going on? Why isn't she? I'm ready. Let's do this. Um, I'm, and my our relationship. It's not. It's it's not porn. Um, <laughs> and and there's intimacy and 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 intimacy is some scary shit when yeah, you're it's dealing so scary. With, mm-hmm. with another person. Um, and and yes. So if 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 Sarah is struggling in that area. It it taps into um, my self-worth if I allow it to, which I try not to allow it to anymore. Um, Like, what did I do wrong? I'm not good enough. She's detaching. She's going somewhere else. She Mm -hmm. found somebody else. There's somebody else that she's sleeping with. I mean, all this crazy stuff that takes place in my head. Um, And do you share that with her?
2: Or do you just...
3: We've talked about that. Okay. We've mm-hmm. had, we've been able to sit down and have many wonderful conversations about sex, mm-hmm. uh, healing conversations about sex. And and yeah, and I know that... Um,
0: well, and a comment about that, too, is I feel like it's very appropriate, too. There's one conversation you might have with your partner. There's another conversation you might have with a sponsor, an individual therapist, mm-hmm. other guys in support, you know. So... Um, what's nice for me is to know that he has a support network that's going to help him with his stuff around this. And I just need to show up for my part as a loving spouse. And, you know, and he's been honest, you know, the other day he was just mentioning, he's like, I don't have, I know I'm not going anywhere. I'm not looking for anyone else or any other opportunities, but there is kind of this nagging fear that like, what if like, what if that could happen? And him even sharing that, I'm like, I could totally understand that, but even him sharing that brings our intimacy closer. And it makes that possibility even slimmer. And even if that did happen, you know, I mean, we'd cross that bridge when we got there, but we're committed to each other. Mm -hmm. You know, we're committed to seeing this as we're both toddlers, right? We're both little kids learning how to ride a bike of sorts, (laughs) you know, like it's going to take time and process, Right. Right. Yeah. it's okay to be beginners.
3: I think what I was bringing to the, to the, to the table when we were actually physically connecting, when we were actually in the act of, of making love or having sex was I was, it was almost like I was watching myself in a porn. It's was like, yeah, look at me. And I wasn't connecting with her at all it was let's watch let's watch you know the penetration and let's mm. hey, look at this yeah let's look in the mirror and let's see how the my, my posture i mean it was really i was like watching myself in a porn and i was not connected to her what whatsoever and the the, the times and it's it's becoming more and more consistent now um when i do connect one on one with my partner um it's it's better than anything i've ever experienced ever it was scary the first couple of times but the 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 more we do to be fully it, present. To be fully present. What was scary about it? Um, because it was just being completely um you, seen. It was you, being one hundred percent seen and, and being vulnerable. One hundred percent vulnerable.
2: Was there a, a fear that you wouldn't you wouldn't maintain arousal?
3: No, never. No, that wasn't okay. a fear. It was um, I don't know how to articulate it. it it's. Just allowing the, whatever shield I carry at any given time to be just completely da- laid down on the floor and be a hundred percent seen for for me. Um, so even in the moments before when I was checking out as if I was watching myself in a porn, that was still me guarding myself somehow, some way um, uh, about from being vulnerable, a hundred percent vulnerable with my partner. Yeah, I
2: mean, it, the, the way I interpret it is it, it, it's easier for you to judge your performance than get into the fear of is she judging <laughs> my mm. performance? Is she seeing me? Is there is there something I'm doing? Am I not being perfect in some way uh, with her? I, I don't know. That's just my No, that makes sense. That thought just popped into my head. Sense. And
3: to be also to connect eyes with somebody when you're making love and to be 100% there rather than. I mean, for me, it was always literally watching, watching penetration, mm-hmm. and like even if we were having sleeping with one another, and if we, it was, I, my eyes wouldn't be locked in with with Sarah's. they would they would be looking down at what was what was going on. I mean, I wasn't even physically I was physically there, but I wasn't mentally; I wasn't really mm-hmm. present.
2: And how about you, Sarah? What's the question again?
0: <laughs> uh, just uh, talking about
2: navigating this, uh, you know, this yeah. this intimacy thing. Um.
0: um, I mean, definitely, you know that that came through. Um, it's it is becoming more evident, like when we're really both fully present, <clears throat> and it bothered me. But I don't think I really had language for it, you know, previous in our relationship early on when you know he was. As he just said, like had his shield up, and I'm sure there was like performic, you know, pressure I put on myself too. You know, am I thin enough? Does this lingerie fit okay? You know, all of that kind of stuff. You know,
2: the performance, um, presentation aspect. Was the eye contact uncomfortable for you uh, early on? Yeah. Talk talk about that.
0: Um, I mean, it's just the most.
2: It's intense.
0: It's so intense.
2: It's so intense. There's no escape. I think true. because in our lives we have always had an exit route. Could be isolating, could be pornography, could be whatever. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. yeah, when you're in bed mm-hmm. and you're laying with somebody uh-huh. looking to each other there's yeah. no place to go.
0: No place. <laughs> and and it's it is scary to be seen. You know, there's no Persona you can have if you're really trying to connect with someone in that way, um, because in that in that sense it's soul to soul, and to be really fully seen is just, I think that's the most radical act you know anyone could experience. <laughs> truly, you know, we think the, the acting out stuff is radical, you know, but I I mean the true in the moment presentness of just loving someone as fully as you possibly can in that moment it's it's amazing and letting them fully
2: see you Mm. yeah sharing your vulnerabilities Mm -hmm. with them sharing Mm -hmm. you know things from your past Mm -hmm. with them
0: Mm -hmm.
2: letting them know what scares you what hurts you
0: yeah Mm -hmm.
2: having the difficult conversations that you know it it really hurt my feelings when Mm -hmm. you know i asked you to do this and you said you were going to do it and then you didn't Mm -hmm. and that to me is all a part of the foundation of healthy sex so many mm-hmm. things that have nothing to do right. with sex Sex starts
0: in the kitchen right yeah so right. Or, <laughs>
2: or, or sex as, starts or with, as, as an old
3: therapist said it's all about sex yeah i mean it's all about sex we even that's just, what our
0: sex therapist says
2: yeah yeah, yeah. well they got in with the right field then <laughs> <laughs>
0: um well and so that that was my thing you know in this conversation about about sex you know Um, the me learning how to not shut down, how to write a new narrative, how to rewire my mind in that way. Um, And then he's brought his own, his own sexual shame to our relationship too, which is really his, I mean, you can talk about it if you want to. I mean, the results of your past.
3: (laughs) Oh gosh. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't, (laughs) Which well, a, because that's we that's edit. a big part. We can part. edit it out. Okay. You, I mean, like. I, I've never shared this with you. I've never mm-hmm. shared it in our in our. In you our, shared it with me personally. Oh yes, yeah. I did. Yes, I did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, my wiring, said I was I, I you know I was so bad I was so wrong. All I wanted to do was fit in growing up, um, and I remember as you know as as I watched more and more porn, on average you would see. You know, what, are we talking about the same thing here? No. What are we talking about? You pointed <laughs> I was somewhere. talking
0: about STDs. <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's that what you shared me. <laughs> That's
3: a whole different story. Right. <laughs> On okay. to a
0: lighter subject.
3: Yes, yeah, a much lighter subject. <laughs> no, yeah, actually, it wasn't what she's referring to. It wasn't until I, I got sober that I um, came down with my first STD. Go figure. It happened after I stopped acting out at Decided to show up and and it's just a nice you meant uh
2: sober from acting out
3: yes Mm yeah yeah um and it was a reminder of what life was like um and i had to be honest i can't i mean i I mean the shame that came along with that wanted me to lie about it wanted me to cover it up however i could cover it up but i gotta be honest um you know what's the saying speak your truth and don't run away and Mm -hmm. uh that's that's me being vulnerable and saying, okay, this is me, and 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 reminding myself that I'm, you know, I'm not the only person in the world with mm-hmm. with an STD. Um, mm-hmm. It's, but yet my my thinking tries to tell me that the shame tries to say, you are the only person in the world that's got this. And How
2: terrifying was that conversation with Sarah the first time?
3: You're smiling like you remember. <laughs>
0: I, I, I do remember
3: well please share it i mean i it, did it, it, i remember it being terrifying but that's all i really remember about it
0: yeah i mean we were sitting at his kitchen table at the time and you know we agreed that we were dating and that it was going to be you know monogamous that we weren't going to date other people and that meant that sex was on the table like mm-hmm. um and he just, I remember he teared up and he just said, I have some news for you. And I thought he was breaking up with me. Honestly, (laughs) I was like, Oh no. Um, I really like this guy. And, and he just shared, you know, here's, here's what I have. And if, if we do sleep together, then, you know, you would be exposed to this and, you know, that's something you need to think about and, you know, let me know what your thoughts are. Um, and, I, you know i I outreached to some my support system about it and really thought about it or did my own research on it and I really respected him taking the time I don't know that there's a single person that I've ever been sexually active with who's ever done that, so I felt really um uh I felt respected and I felt like um even though he had tears in his eyes that he was a dignified man for doing that. Um, and I decided that that was not, you know, a deal breaker for me. And I understood the the potential consequences of what, mm-hmm. you know, I could contract in that situation. And, um, you know, every once in a So, yeah, so that was, mm-hmm. that was me in that moment. And, um, and I did, I did catch it and it's not a problem for me and I take care of it, you know, when, when it decides to, you know, say hello.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but that's something that he actually really struggle still with shame about that i don't know that it necessarily affects our sexual intimacy but i i I see it affect the way he approaches me or approaches our relationship there's a deep sense of um i don't know if it's sadness or if it's shame or both but um you know so we both you know Mm -hmm. there's my sexual anorexia there's his kind of shame in this past Mm -hmm. um that we both get to look at and just be like, okay, this is us. You know, how do we want to move forward? How do we want to deal with it today?
2: Do you have anything to add about that? No. um, What did that feel like in that moment when she accepted you? Um, wonderful,
3: scary. Um, those were the, the feeling was, was joy. Um, uh, definite joy it's
2: like uh, the opposite of your childhood right, <laughs> and a, and a right. yeah um, 10 second window right
3: um well what do they talk about in our support group it's intimacy with self first and to really spend time and get to be okay with ourselves and then then intimacy with another person and, and so i had to work on me for a while um and before i i mean had i that's why i had I figured, if I, had I found out about that STD before support group, I, I, I think I would have never told anybody. I think I would have covered it up, lied, um, because I needed to know that you wanted me. Because um, it would or, risk somebody loving you. It, would, it would risk somebody leaving, actually, mm. the, the abandonment stuff. It was whatever I could do to avoid abandonment. Um, and if that meant lying about it, I would have but i didn't know i didn't realize it happened i had it until after i stopped sleeping around
2: so do you have any positive memories uh with your dad i do can you share any yeah um yeah he
3: he my father's 82 um when he was 62 he got into, um, treatment. Um, and he's done a lot of work on himself. He's been in support groups for 20 years now. Um, and, um, I turned to my therapist one day and I I said, I think I I need to get angry at my father. Um, and he said, what does that look like? And I said, I think he needs to come in one of my sessions and, and he was willing to come down to a, a therapy session. And, um, it wasn't anger that needed to be, expressed to my father. I needed to be seen. I needed him to see what he had created. Um, and it was after one of the sessions that the therapist asked if, uh, I would let, um, him hold me. And I was, uh, 39 at the time, I think somewhere right around there. And, and it, almost everything inside of me said, absolutely not, except for like the deep, 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 Resonated, knowing place said, yes, this needs to happen. And the therapist walked out of the room. He said, this is where I leave you guys. And my father came over and sat down next to me and, and I buried my, my uh, head into his chest and, uh, just started sobbing. Um, and he was holding me something he never, ever did as a father. Um, so much so that. He told me afterwards that he, he said he never realized the importance of, of holding a child until just then. Wow. Um, and he was a man who was pushing 80 at the time. Uh, and so that's a beautiful memory, uh, with him. Um,
2: <laughs> it doesn't get any
3: better than um, that. I, I mean, was, that's yeah. healing some, some deep rooted shit right there. Wow. So and that happened again another time on, on my own without the therapist for a much longer prolonged, uh, like 15 minute stretch where that first time I think I could only handle like 30 seconds of it. And it was just like almost too much. I was like, mm-hmm. get away. Um, and then another time at his house, uh, it, it went on for like 15 minutes and he just held me and he just kept saying how sorry he was. And, and it was just, he was, it was allowing every, all that deep hurt to come to the surface um, and to, to come out. Yeah. Pretty, pretty powerful stuff.
0: Well, um, he introduced to you, your sister.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that was... Yeah, he's, he had a lot of skeletons in his closet. I, I found out when I was 30 years old that I had a, a sister that he never told me about. And <laughs> he called me up one day. He's like, you're going to get a call from so-and-so. And I was like, okay, who's so-and-so? And he's like, that's your sister. <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and he, he... A nanny of mine, when I was 12... Um, she would hold his cocaine for him during the day. So he didn't do anything during the day. And, uh, she would take care of me and he started sleeping with her and he knocked her up and he said, I don't want anything to do with this child. And she left. And, uh, 22 years later, uh, she found him. Um, God bless her for, uh, having the courage to, to do that. She's an amazing woman. Um, so yeah.
1: Wow. Well, and...
0: I mean, you and your dad were, you know, cheersing her at her NYU graduation a couple of years ago, and yeah, I mean, today she's a close family member. T- she actually brought all your New York family into your life, which reestablished this sense of family right. that you never yeah, had. So you with know? everything coming full, full circle. circle,
3: exactly. So yeah, now there is a sense of family in in my life today where there wasn't growing up, and then to have John at our wedding, like I touched base on earlier. Mm. I mean, it's those stories that I've told myself all those years that he didn't want anything to do with me you know those stories that we tell ourselves you know we make these mountains out of molehills and we i i believe them i did for many years and i don't have to believe the stories anymore um we have a beautiful life together Mm -hmm. um a wonderful family like sarah's mentioning and and it's all because people that are, are doing work on themselves uh People have courage to be seen and be vulnerable. It's it's
2: really amazing. That's why I always tout support groups. I know people get annoyed at me sometimes for droning on and on about the power of therapy and support groups, but I, I just I can't imagine um, life without them. And and mm-hmm. I, like you guys, I've experienced so many beautiful moments um, in meetings where I just want everybody to experience it mm-hmm. because it's so it can be so life-changing that's not to me to say on a certain night a meeting is annoying and i <laughs> leave as soon as i can because that person that gets on my nerves is mm-hmm. talking about that same goddamn thing again mm-hmm. but then i have to It's a good chance for me to look at myself and go what do i recognize in them that right. i don't like in myself right, there's right. always something yeah
3: mm-hmm. that that person can be our teacher
1: mm-hmm.
2: yeah mm. yeah well, thank you guys so much for um Sharon being so open and so honest and so vulnerable and uh and being my friends. I, mm. I love you guys. We love yeah, you too. We love you too. Thank you. <laughs> and you know where they are today, both of them? Just the two of them. Disneyland. I love that. I love that. Um I forgot to mention, uh, Zachary had briefly touched on it in the interview, but uh, Zachary uh, is a writer, and he is uh, putting a book together. It's going to be called It's Always Worse in Your Head, and he has a landing page for it uh, to keep you updated on uh, the progress of it, uh, or if you want to know about it, or you want to ask him questions about anything, uh, his website is ZacharyGoodson.com dot com that's z a c h a r y g o o d s o n dot com so uh, check that out you can probably email them uh, through that and if you do want to email them and you can't email them through the landing page email me and I'll forward it to them because I know a lot of people um, were incredibly moved by uh, his and Sarah's episode I was I called him after I um Listened to this again last night when I was editing, and uh, I just had to call him and I was like, "Dude, you are just—you are just the best. You went so deep and so honest, uh, both he and Sarah. That's why I pump support groups so much, you guys. You get to meet people like that, you get to have them in your life." Uh... I don't know if I mentioned, but I'm going to Oakland uh, to do two uh, recordings, live recordings of podcasts again, uh, July 20th and 21st. I think that's either a Tuesday, Wednesday, or a Wednesday, Thursday. I'm not sure, but I'll put a link to it um, on the website, and um, uh, so looking forward to doing that again. Before I read some surveys, I want to remind you guys, there's a couple of different ways to support the podcast. If you feel so inclined, you can support us financially by going to our website, metalpod.com and making either a one-time PayPal donation or my favorite, becoming a monthly donor for as little as five bucks a month. It may not seem like a lot of money to you, but it adds up and it means the world to me. It means the world to this podcast. It keeps it going and we can always use more donors. Um... You can support us financially if you're gonna buy something at Amazon, enter through the link on our website and then Amazon uh, will give us a little bit of money and it doesn't cost you anything. Uh, You can also help us non-financially by going to iTunes, giving us a good rating, Um, writing something nice about the podcast, that helps. Um, Oh, something else I wanted to share. I got to record uh, NHL great Theo Fleury um, on Monday night. And we don't have an air date for the, for the episode yet, but um, God, that was so cool meeting him. So cool meeting him. Um, and he's doing some amazing uh, work around um, healing from trauma. Getting some laws changed in Canada, or at least trying. Um, let's get to some surveys. That's what my headstone should say. Let's get to some surveys. Enough of my yakking. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by uh, Teresa. And in parentheses, she says, I don't care if you know my name. And um, I just want to read a a, a part of it. Um, Darkest thoughts. My deepest, darkest thoughts are selling my wedding dress and engagement and wedding rings, divorcing my husband and moving away to New York or Paris. I don't think I love him anymore. I'm not even sure I ever did. I'm not even really ashamed of these thoughts, but I can't really tell anyone but my therapist about them. And the important thing is that you're, t- you're talking about it and you're telling your therapist. Darkest secrets. Hmm. I used to shoplift in high school. I stole money from several part-time jobs I had. I eat Pop-Tarts in the middle of the night alone in the dark kitchen, and I fucking love it. I can support that if they're unfrosted. If they are frosted, I cast you to the bowels of hell in the most expeditious manner possible. If you are eating unfrosted Pop Tarts, I am sending you a high five on a bullet train. Uh, sexual fantasies most powerful to you. I don't have many sexual fantasies as I've pretty much completely withdrawn emotionally from my marriage. But there is one thing that turns me on that I think is super weird, sneezing. I watch YouTube videos of people sneezing from allergies and it totally gets me off. One time I was listening to you read this survey and the person's sexual fantasy was being raped and I had the thought, well, at least she's not turned on by sneezing. I thought that was pretty fucking funny. Thank you for sharing that, you know. We are, we are all beautiful, sexual snowflakes please don't put that on my headstone Uh, this is a struggle in a sentence filled out by ACOA as fuck and she writes about her love addiction if I have sex with you I am convinced that we will get married Uh, about her PTSD is not trusting any emotion or memory because reality Oh, PTSD is not trusting any emotion or memory because reality doesn't actually exist Thank you for sharing that. This is an awful moment. Filled in by uh, a kid, he's 17. He calls himself creepy neighbor kid. And he writes, I was recently diagnosed with schizoid personality disorder and major depression. I've abused drugs, mainly weed, psychedelics, and depressants for a few years and have tried dozens of times to quit my various habits. After my diagnoses, I was prescribed antipsychotics, mood stabilizers, and antidepressants and was told that recreational drug use could inhibit the effectiveness of the medications. Well, that really motivated me to quit. I'm a few days into my cold turkey withdrawal from all street drugs, and my body is beginning to adjust to the flood of new legal chemicals. I feel awful. I decide to get some fresh air and take a walk on the golf course adjacent to my backyard. I feel sick. My mind is racing. I can't control my breath and need a release. I think of the crippling anxiety i experience at school the fact that i can't sleep at night without knocking myself out my overarching apathy for relationships and life in general i realize that this is usually the point where i run to drugs to stop the pacing and the madness but that option is no longer available this realization setting in i remove my jacket bunch it up and begin to yell fuck 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 into it repeatedly i do this for several minutes and my throat starts to hurt I'm nearing my backyard now, having walked around the perimeter of the golf course, still yelling, fuck, into my jacket, when I see three young girls who live next door and their mother standing in shock about 15 feet away. I remove the jacket from my face and briefly, briefly raise my hand in recognition, then hurry into my house. In the moment, I just wanted to get inside, but looking back on it, I realize how bizarre I must have looked. I think I'll just stay inside for a while so as not to frighten the mentally stable. God, I'm weird. You are so not weird. You are a beautiful, sensitive kid who lives in a scary world, littered with people and caregivers who don't understand emotions. This is a struggle in a sentence filled out by Mother's Perfect Doll about her depression, general depression that mistakenly soft blanket that tells me to stay in bed forever and screw the world while I slowly alienate myself and wash away my ambitions and dreams. I think a lot of us relate to that one. Uh, about her anxiety, hearing any noise in my house and immediately think someone is broken in to kill while conveniently forgetting I live with other people and a dog about experiencing cu- racial or cultural bias. Oh, you're just following me around the store uh because you want to help me, right? Can't imagine how hurtful and maddening that must be. This is from the babysitter survey filled out by uh AJ and he is uh bisexual and he's in his 20s. Uh and he writes, uh, my babysitter would pull me into the other room at nap time and have my brother and my, sleeping f- and my friend sleeping in another room. Uh, she would pretend she was asleep, but she'd put my mouth on her nipple and tell me to suck every day. Uh, I only told two of my friends. I never shared with any family members. At the time, I thought I was special. She would tell me I was her favorite. It has made me unable to satisfy my libido. Uh, Remembering these things, I feel ashamed and regretful. I wish it hadn't happened in the first place. Ever since she started the, quote, games with me, I have always been sexual. My sexual urges are much more amplified compared to other feelings. I feel that some damage was done to me. I have a sexual appetite that is never satisfied. Um... If you are a parent, has your experience influenced how you would view your children being babysat? I am not a parent, but I think that having a babysitter who is willing to sexually use younger kids will always be traumatic. A child shouldn't shouldn't be subject to that sexual behavior when he's under 10. Um, really, any child, any any child, any age. And I'm sorry you had to experience that, and I'm sorry... It sounds like it's affected your, your sexuality, but you know, there's a lot of support groups out there that can uh, that can help with uh sex addiction, because it sounds like that's maybe what's going on, uh what's been left in the in the wake of it, which is textbook. Textbook. Um we we tend to either completely shut down sexually or act out. This is an awful moment filled out by Blaze, uh, who is a trans male. And, um, please write yesterday, uh, one of my rats died. I breathe them. So I still have maybe 50 or so left at the same age. It doesn't matter though, as each rat means so much to me in different ways. Vogue was beautiful and kind. And so when I saw she wasn't eating and was clicking when she breathed, I knew something was up all morning. I held her and petted her and told her not to give up on me. The closest vet that takes rats is almost three hours away, so I tend to only go there if something is really wrong. Well, apparently something was. Was I took her into the bathroom with me so I could keep her close in case something happened. She started hopping on the counter. Then, as I put her on the floor so she had room to do whatever it was she was doing, I had never seen a rat do that before, she did some quick hops and a turn and fell over dead. I had seen rabbits do that and instantly realized what she had done. Rabbits break their own spines this way, and apparently rats can too. I shit you not, as I'm sitting on the toilet, trying my hardest to pee, my rat fucking commits suicide. (sighs) Oh, (laughs) I love you guys. I love you guys. This is a struggle in a sentence filled out by Girl Interrupted, and she writes about her anxiety, backing out of my driveway every morning, watching the garage door close, thinking this is the last time I'll ever see this. I'll never get to go home again. About her anorexia, the feeling of hunger is no longer hunger. It's excitement. Every calorie I don't eat is a victory. Snapshot from her life. Sitting with a box of Ziploc bags and too much food, chewing each bite until it's liquid, then spitting into the bag. Every time I don't swallow it, my heart rate increases. Each bite I spit out is a victory, something to be celebrated. The bags uh, hide in the bottom of my trash can until it's early morning, and I can dispose of them safely without being seen. I hope you get help for that. I hope you get help for that. Sending you some love. I bet there is so much pain underneath that. All that anxiety and that... Wanting to control. Sending you love. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by a woman who calls herself 99 problems, but Herbert's butthole ain't one. Well, you clearly don't have to bathe Herbert or or check his ass when he comes in from the yard because his asshole can be a problem. Uh, let's see. She is straight, Uh, she qualifies, but will accommodate whatever needs to be done. You want me to fuck a girl? Sure. Uh, She's in her 20s, was raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment. Uh, She writes, if your mother is a volatile, borderline narcissist who can land insults with such such precision to mortally wound your eight-year-old psyche and your dad just sits by and takes more shifts to get out of the house, how do I morph this into not a data point for understanding, but another tool to minimize my own pain. Think I've got a chance? Question mark. I'm not sure what that last thing about the data point meant, but um, she has been the victim of sexual abuse and reported it and also some stuff happened, but she doesn't know if it counts. Uh, She writes, I was raped in textbook rapey, date rapey terms and reported it but didn't see justice because he was a quote, good guy. Boy, I'm sure you guys all read, uh, that, that thing, um, that the, the victim impact statement that the, um, Stanford, uh, college woman read to her rapist after he was convicted and giving, given a unbelievably light sentence, basically no sentence, um, But you know what? It does seem like this could be a touchstone for change because it has gone so viral. Anyway, I digress. If you haven't read that, just Google um, Stanford, um, I guess, rape victim, Stanford rape victim statement, and it'll it'll come up. It's one of the most profound, heartbreaking, but also uh, inspiring things that I've that I've ever read. Um, Anyways, but didn't see justice because he he was a, quote, good guy. I believe that too. He is a good guy, mostly. We all fuck up. I've been with partners who have taken advantage of my low self-esteem in order to objectify me. I'm always surprised if I receive a compliment from someone with whom I'm having sex or if he holds my hand in public. I don't know if things like having rough anal sex when we're drunk and he knows I don't like anal counts i'd say it does i don't know if grabbing my boob and commenting on how small it is in front of people is sexual abuse or not i I don't know whether it's sexual abuse but it's fucking abuse um i don't know if it's sexual abuse if i feel like i'm the easiest person in the world to lay because i haven't a goddamn shred of self-respect so i'll fuck you because you're a warm body and i'm essentially always drunk on your attention you know what it sounds like it sounds like like love addiction and people who are love addicts are catnip to them is somebody who is abusive or emotionally unavailable and uh i i just want to um suggest a book for you called called facing love addiction by pia melody um i'm sure you can find it on amazon and um darkest thoughts oh um Any positive experience with the abuser? Oh my God, I love him sometimes. There have been several time, several, it says hymns who've who've hurt me. Oh, auto spell, but also who've earned my love. I love them all still, but the aftermath makes me seem rosy and I fucking can't forgive myself for being spineless and I have such disgust for me. If you are a love addict, There is no point in hating yourself. It's like the alcoholic hating themselves for drinking. You need help. You cannot do it on your own. Addiction is too powerful to to battle on your own. Darkest thoughts. Um, I want to die. I fucking dream of launching out of windows or lately off of bridges over the interstate. Uh, She has Windows capitalized. And if you're talking about the Windows operating system, That's perfectly healthy to want out of that fucking operating system. Uh, I'm assuming that you mean the window window. Sometimes the fantasy morphs into how I survived and am in hospital and my current boyfriend shows up and is so sweet and protective and I'm taken care of. Man, I hear that fantasy from so many people. Um, You just heard it from Zachary talking about uh, the thing with his, the fantasy about his dad. Darkest Secrets. I don't think any of what I have to say or my feelings or reactions are valid. I can watch my behaviors go completely against my innermost dialogue. I hear myself saying, please don't do this. Have a shred of fucking dignity and don't see him again. Don't let him say those things. Don't let him be this mean. But I'll think that and text, uh, sure, see you tonight or apologize for being difficult because I'm sure my reactions to your fear response, including aggressions, are hard for you. Even as I type this now, I know, I know, I know it's fucked up and yet I cannot stop myself. I feel like I need to go through all of it for 10 minutes of affection at the end. Yes, that is love addiction. That is love addiction and it is every bit as serious and deadly as any other addiction. People kill themselves over love addiction. Um, they put themselves in danger over love addiction. Um, what if anything do you wish for? I wish for someone to hold me and to be safe. That is so sweet. That is so sweet. you can you can have that, but man. gotta learn how to how to set boundaries and for somebody who's an addict addicted to people that is mount everest but you can do it but it's going to take help feeling like i'm preaching now this is an awful moment filled out by a and she writes after being convinced by a campus security guard to allow him to take me to student counseling during one of my panic attacks i watch in awe and confusion as he avoids stepping on the patterns and the lines on the floor, just like I am. That's pretty awesome. Uh, This is a struggle in a sentence filled out by Perfectly Imperfect. And um, she has cerebral palsy. And she writes, Even though I work, walk, and live independently and am, quote, fully functional, there are days I feel like I am screaming for someone to listen. But no one ever hears my cry, so I resort to smiling and saying nothing. I am hoping that someday someone will realize that in fact, as I once read, silence is the most powerful scream. Please ask for help. Please ask for help. We can't read your mind. We can't read your mind. I would be dead if I didn't ask for help. This is filled out by, uh, this is a shame and secret survey filled out by uh, the original mus- musketeer. And she is straight in her 30s, raised in a totally chaotic environment, uh, was the victim of sexual abuse and reported it. And she writes, from the ages of 5 to 17, my cousin sexually abused sexually abused me. Um She's been emotionally abused. My emotional abuse came from my maternal grandmother and my cousins. My grandmother would blatantly leave me out of things that she included my cousins in. She called me what's-her-face in front of my entire family on one occasion. She would favor my other cousins, and her excuse was that they were the underdog, and therefore she had to root for them over me. I believe she hated me because my father was Caucasian, and my parents gave me a very privileged life, one she never had. She was and is insanely jealous of me because she is codependent on my mother and my mother will drop everything when I need something. She took that as abandonment and I was the reason for it. My entire life, she would mumble degrading things to me under her breath, i.e., why don't you go live with your father? My parents are divorced. And when I would get angry and yell back at her, I would get in trouble for being disrespectful. When I would tell my mom what she said to me, my grandmother would claim she didn't say a word and my mother would believe her. I got in trouble a lot for disrespecting my grandmother. I was often the laughing stock of the family and definitely the black sheep. I know they hate me because I've always been a better person than them. I believe they hate me because they wish they could be me. Any positive experiences with your abusers? I can't pinpoint any positive experiences I've had with my sexual abuser. What complicated my feelings about him was the fact that I really liked his brothers and his girlfriend. With my emotional abuser, I did have positive positive moments with her, but always saw them as anomalies. I was happy when they showed up, but never spent time dwelling on them because I knew tomorrow she would be back to being an abuser. Darkest thoughts. On bad days, I want to disappear and leave everyone and everything behind to start a new life, someplace where no one knows who I am. I like the idea of recreating my life and taking back the control that was stolen from me in my childhood. Man, we all, well, I shouldn't say we all, but so many of us have that blank slate fantasy that's starting over. It is such a a common one. Uh, Darkest Secrets. When I was very young, And first being abused, I thought it was normal and felt good and wanted to share that feeling, so I went to my friend's house and introduced her to oral sex at a very young age. To this day, I have never told anyone that and am terrified that I stole her innocence and changed her life forever just like my abuser changed mine. I'm scared that not only am I a victim of abuse, but perhaps an abuser as well. I try to justify my past behavior as a kid who is simply mimicking what was being done to them. But more often than not, I beat myself up and wonder if I did irreparable harm to that little girl. You know, I heard somebody say one time that a, a, a child um, uh, being inappropriately sexual, uh, with another child, they are both victims of the adult that taught that first child. And that, I think, is the case here. And she may have been harmed by it. She may have been damaged by it, but it is not on you. None of it, none of it is on you. You are a child. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I fantasize about having a lustful and passionate affair and my husband never finding out. Since I'm married to a great guy, I feel guilty for even thinking about this and wonder why I can't just appreciate what I have. Why do I need more? Um, I think that's pretty normal. I think that's pretty normal to think about other people, especially for somebody who experienced uh, sexual trauma. Uh, Intimacy is terrifying for people who've experienced trauma, especially sexual trauma. What, if anything, we'd like to say to someone you haven't been able to. I want to look my mother in the eyes and say, you didn't protect me. What, if anything, do you wish for? I wish for peace within my heart. I wish for a day without emotional pain. I wish to feel whole one day. There are a lot of programs out there that can, and therapists that can help you heal from that stuff that happened to you. And if you're, oh, she does have a therapist. Uh, I've shared Uh, these things only with my therapist. She cried after I shared them. Wow. Wow. How do you feel after writing these things down? Better, lighter. Anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences. I see you. I know your pain, and I know your struggle. I am with you, even though you don't know who I am. Wow, that is profound. That is so beautiful. That is so beautiful. Thank you for that. This is an awfulsome moment filled out by Queen of Dragons. Oh, do I love Game of Thrones. Oh, it is building. I'm not going to do any spoil any stuff for people. I'm just going to talk in generalizations. It is building. There are so many storylines that are just ready to explode. I can't take it. I can't take it and her awful some moment is I have two really good friends from college I graduated last year one graduated this year and the other dropped out due to personal struggles I would argue that over the past year we have become even closer uh, than when we were all three of us in school both live an hour away from me so I don't get to see them very often my birthday recently passed so they came to visit me We all have some form or combo of anxiety and depression. We were talking about the meds we are on uh, while another friend was over, something completely normal to us, but he looked very confused. Anyway, I have not really gone to any bars near my house, and all three of us are very comfortable with our tiny college town's nightlife. We decided to try going out while we were visiting. At the first bar several minutes in, a wave of anxiety hit me. I looked at them and just said, we need to leave now and they immediately ushered me out. Being that I have had a panic attack in a bar before, they completely understood. Off to the next bar after some fresh air. None of us were drunk enough to enjoy the the unfamiliar bars. We stayed long enough to do a few shots, then went back outside. They recognized I was on edge and asked what I wanted to do. I told them I felt bad because I knew they really wanted to be at bars, and I did too. I just couldn't handle it that night. They said it was decision time, so I said, honestly... I just want some pizza and a bowl right now. I laughed. They did too. But they nodded and ushered me in the right direction. We stopped at a pizza place on the way back and smoked in my tiny apartment. It was the best night I've had in a while. Thank you for that. This is filled out by Mir. That's a shame and Secret survey. She's bisexual in her 20s was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. Uh, She only filled out part of the survey. She's never been sexually abused, uh, but she has been emotionally abused. She writes, I will never forget the time that I was on the phone with my mother, hearing her revving the engine and screaming that she was going to kill herself because of me, or the time that I caught her with a blade at her wrist and claiming that it was my fault that she had to do it. I resent her for this, and I doubt I can ever forgive her. She finds her behavior poetic. It's just plain abuse. Darkest thoughts. I dream about fucking my teacher in class. Darkest secrets. I wish that my mother would die so that she can stop suffering from her addiction to opiates. I hope that, that you've gotten some <clears throat> some type of guidance on having a family member who's an addict um, because it can be such a mind fuck without the knowing how to set boundaries. And there's a lot of great... Great places to learn how to uh, be loving but firm with people who are sick. Um, sometimes that that way of being loving can be cutting them out of your life because uh, that on the surface that may seem like that's not loving, but what you're doing is you're giving that person the truth. The truth is I can't handle being around you because you're so toxic, and that's not that's not one of those truths that. You know, it's like saying you look terrible in that sweater because you're overweight. That would be a truth that you need to keep to yourself. But that truth can help somebody like your mom. If another, if enough people told her the truth, it increases the chances that she's going to go, you know what, maybe this lifestyle isn't working for me anymore. So if you haven't either distanced yourself from her or cut her out of your life, um, at least for now, um, something to think about. This is from the Shame and Secret survey filled out by a person who calls themselves Sigh. I don't know. Uh I think that's all we need to know in the survey. Is what's your name? I don't know. We know your whole life from that. We're you. We are you. Uh she is fifteen. Uh between fifteen and eighteen. Um This is interesting. Uh, She's pansexual. This is interesting. She describes the environment that she's raised in as stable and safe. Let's enjoy this. Uh, Have you ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. My dad has always been a very sexual person in general, but I questioned some of his actions towards me. When I was little, he would give me wedgies as a little joke, but sometimes he would just put his hand down the back of my pants. Maybe they were accidents, but I'm not sure. He always came into the bathroom and looked at me as I took baths and showers, claiming it was okay because we are just family. And maybe he was right. No, he's not right. But it always felt weird. Yeah, and that that was your body telling you the truth. When we have talks in the car, he sometimes brings up his and my mom's sex life, that sex abuse, talking about how she never wants to have sex with him. He always complains about it and talks about wanting to see other women just for sex, I don't think that is okay for him to share with his child, but maybe I'm just letting him talk too much. Uh, no. No. That is not, none of that is on you. That is your dad sexually abusing you. Uh, to add on to that, my dad is a nudist. He walks around the house naked 24-7 unless it's too cold and there's, or there's company over. He has done this for as long as I can remember. It makes me so uncomfortable and I hate being around him when he doesn't have any clothes on. The worst part is, maybe this is awful, that uh, she put, maybe this is awful, that everything down there is pierced. Yeah. So every time he walks around, I can hear the annoying ass jingle and clinks of his piercings. Sounds silly, but it has become haunting. That is not silly. This is tragic. Sounds silly, but it has become haunting and I want to plug my ears and scream every time I hear it as he walks past my bedroom door. It doesn't help that he plays with himself all the time right in front of me and my mom. Let let that fucking soak in for a second. I mean, that is... The police need to be fucking called. Child Protective Services needs to be called. That is jail time we're talking and you know what breaks my heart about this is it and i don't i I always hate comparing people's experiences but a child that's being um molested at least that lasts for that day 10 minutes a half hour whatever how long this is all day every fucking day you have to look at this guy. And what he's doing is that that is violence. He not your dad may not realize it, but that is anger. He's expressing anger because he doesn't give a fuck what you want. You he can tell you're uncomfortable. You've probably told him that you're uncomfortable. And your mom. Oh, fuck. All right. Um uh I remember when I was little, he would do it a lot when my mom wasn't home, when I was in the other room. I hate it. I tried telling my mom the other day and she respected my discomfort, but thinks that I should just deal with it. No, that is not respecting your discomfort. That is not protecting your child. That is abandoning your child. That is that is jumping in and being a co-abuser. Um she claimed that he had a quote, spiritual awakening, making him stop caring about what others thought, making him very open about his body and thoughts. She thinks he doesn't mean any harm, and I think that's a little too. That's a little too, but I'm not really sure. And I think that a little too, but I'm not really sure. Um, <laughs> what your father's doing is the exact opposite opposite of a spiritual awakening. A spiritual awakening in my opinion is when we become more attuned to what other people are feeling. We begin to live lead a more principled life even when it doesn't feel good or convenient to us. And your dad is doing just the opposite. He's exploiting his child and he's fucking camouflaging it as he's he's a a nudist. Um and I'm not saying that people that go to nudist things, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with this. I'm talking about your this situation with your dad. <sighs> I can't wait to move out of here. I thought about telling my therapist, but after talking to my mom, she said to specifically not talk about it because my dad could be sent to jail or something. I'm not sure what to do. Overall, he is very supportive of me. No, he's not. He That is his... his uh, whatever you want to call it. That is how he gets away with what he's getting away with. He's doing that stuff so that he can keep getting away with it. Um, It's up to you whether or not to tell your therapist, but if I were a teenage friend of yours and you told me what was happening, I would say, tell your fucking therapist. Um, If I was an uncle or a cousin, um, I would probably go to the police. Um, But this is... uh, This is so damaging, what he's doing. Uh, Darkest thoughts, killing myself and hurting my friends and family uh, because of it. Uh, I just want to see their faces and see if they actually care. Why wouldn't that be your darkest thought when you live with two parents who don't care about what you feel, who are denying your emotional reality, which is the exact opposite of what a parent should do. A parent should see their child's emotional reality. And help guide them through it. (sighs) Have you shared these things with others? I told my mom and my significant other about my dad. The only one that seemed to be concerned was my significant other. I'm scared to tell people because it sounds like a joke. A nudist dad, really. A therapist, a good therapist, would fucking know in an instant what your dad is up to. That is, it is violence, what your father is, is committing. It is not physical violence, but it is emotional and sexual violence. This is an awful, and sending you, however fast those other care packages of hugs and love we sent, there's now a jet passing by them, sending you love and hugs. I don't, I'm very uncomfortable that I've made this competitive thing. Uh, This is an awful some moment filled out by psych nurse in Orlando. We know her She's filled out these before a couple of years ago. I got a call from a distant relative that my father had died I was estranged from my biological father because of a falling out Over me confronting him over his sexual abuse to me when I was little I was informed of his death three weeks after he had died. So I didn't get to go to his funeral I drove up to his home, which was four hours away. I cried. I howled I shook all the way there thought about all the things I didn't get a chance to say to him. I didn't get a chance to tell him that I forgave him. I dreaded having to see his other family, who was going to insist on knowing why I, quote, disowned my father. As I approached his home, I saw a group of people waiting outside, his sisters, niece, neighbors. As we parked the car and I got out, my teary-eyed aunt came up to me, who I hadn't seen in 22 years, and said to me, Oh, Marlene, gave her a huge hug. You used to have such a pretty figure now you look like your father in drag oh i miss him so much silence that's the only that is the only way that you can respond silence or laughter there's no in between and i'm not sure which one to do because that is so fucking awful but she filled it out as awful some so there's something about it that she finds awesome for those of you that are new to the podcast um Awfulsome is a term we coined when something was awful at the time, but in hindsight, it's kind of, there's something about it that's awesome, either because it's so fucked up that it's almost funny, um, or a beautiful moment uh, came out of it. This is a struggle in a sentence filled out by Stray Dreamer, and uh, she's a teenager, and Her issues are anxiety, OCD, PTSD, uh, being a sex crime victim, uh, and having dyslexia. And a snapshot from her life, sitting in the dark in the fetal position in the corner of my room from sunset to sunrise, my eyes fixed on the door, preparing for someone to walk in and hurt me. And then the next day, trying to find the words to answer, why couldn't you sleep? I hope you're talking to somebody. I hope you're talking to somebody. That is so much to go through on your own. So much. Faster jet just past the other jet. So We've got a lot of air traffic. If I wasn't so codependent and needed to try to um, be concerned about everybody's feelings, we wouldn't have an upcoming air disaster, but I can tell you right now, I've got too many planes in the sky. This is from the young male abused by older female Uh, survey and this is filled out by a guy who calls himself a pretty boy now a man he is um, straight in his 40s was raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment he writes my parents were pretty good but a little inattentive to our needs I'm going to therapy for what I thought was ADD, but now really think it was the effects of childhood emotional neglect. Never occurred to me that these sexual encounters were something to be mentioned until now. And he writes, uh, at the age of nine, a friend of my older sister, about five years older than me, uh, started playing around with me, started innocently and playfully grabbing my penis, and I started grabbing her crotch, uh, as in a quick grab, and that was it. In the following weeks, it escalated into a us sitting together in a quiet area while she fondled me inside my pants and I rubbed her vagina or massaged her breasts. This went on for a few weeks, I think. I think I liked it and looked forward to it. At age 12, a friend of the family that was in her early 20s got friendly with me uh a night she slept over we ended up in the same bed i think i started to make advances fondling her breasts and she gave me a hand job my first orgasm by another person i don't think i even knew how to masturbate later i asked her to put it in her mouth and she made me orgasm again it only happened that one time i wished for more my first intercourse was at 17 with a 34 year old woman She was a friend of my father's, a massage therapist. I barely knew what I was doing, but she guided me. I think it felt good and was happy I lost my virginity. It happened again some weeks later. I liked it and longed for more. Um, I never told anyone. I think my sister knew about the fondling and just let it be. I think my younger sister and her friend saw the night the older girl gave me a handjob. I'm sure my father knew I had sex with the massage lady. Hell, he may even had arranged it, who knows, but never told anyone, had almost forgotten and never thought that these experiences were abnormal or harmful until listening to the podcast. I remembering these things what feelings come up. Honestly, I do not feel any negative feelings towards any of the the events. I wish I had fondled my first more. I wish I had followed up the older 22-year-old to give me or do more stuff to me. I liked it. I wish I had not been as shy as I was and followed up on the older lady to have more sex with me. It was good. Do you feel any damage was done? I am sure it set me up for some negative stuff, but don't know. I've always been shy, even though girls found me attractive. I guess I felt uncomfortable when they mentioned it to me. To me, it felt kind of natural, not pervy in any way. Uh, I never felt threatened or forced uh, to any of it, and I liked it. Um I think this is just something to talk to your therapist about. I'm I'm not going to tell you what you should feel or I could tell you on paper that's abuse and that a lot of people um only see the sexual pleasure that they got from something and bury the emotional, um, violence of a power imbalance, sexual situation. Um, but it's certainly something good to talk with your, with your therapist about. And, um, I'd be interested to know, um, what your sexual relationships look like and what your emotional intimacy looks like with, with, uh partners these day these days this is a struggle in a sentence uh filled out by candace and snapshot from her life i was a 21 year old mess barely 100 pounds surviving on only iced coffee for weeks Traumatized from being kidnapped and raped by an acquaintance and then broken up with by my long-term live-in boyfriend because of that and shamed by my family for the incident. My mother decides to call 911 and take me to suicide watch because I wanted to go on a walk to escape her suffocating negativity. The police arrive. My mother is sobbing uncontrollably, spurting out my personal occurrence to anyone with ears. One police officer looks right at me and says, oh, you went to so-and-so high school? You graduated with my daughter. Her name is blank. I responded, "Well, won't this make a great story at your family dinner table tonight?" Holy fuck! The shit that you guys have been through. There is, there is no end to awfulsome. That wasn't even an awfulsome moment. That could have been. Uh, that could have been. Although, that's up to the person to dis- to decide if it's an awfulsome moment. That's just so fucked up. That 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 is emblematic of something that would be in an awful some moment survey but um i'm so sorry you had experienced that and i'm sorry if it appears that that i was um not taking that seriously because i am oh stop fucking apologizing oh yeah that's right paul (laughs) making mistakes are we that's all you are big bundle of mistakes big fat gut big fat face you know why because you're filled with mistakes coming up boss skags see you at the top of the hour professional napper writes about her depression like my potential is as endless as my laziness that is fantastic you need to run for office you need to be the depression czar. Wouldn't that be great if we had a depression czar? They'd do, they do their uh, State of the Union uh, just from bed on their side. I don't know, you guys. Uh, I didn't do anything this week. My fellow Americans, just get a good mattress. I'm so disappointed with that, how that riff went. That... Uh, that may break the computer. That was such a bad riff. This is a shame and secret survey uh, filled out by Lowe. And I just, Lo, and I just wanted to read one one thing from it. Um, darkest thoughts. Not that this is super dark. It just It's just what popped into my head. I'm a psych nurse. I also happen to love crime shows. But after hearing story after story of trauma and abuse, my first thought when someone gets rescued is, Shit ain't over. It's just getting started. So true. So true. It's the ripples. It's the ripples. This is an email I got from uh, a guy uh, named Cody, and he writes, Good day. Here I brought a potential business proposal at your doorstep for consideration. He sounds like a great guy because what he does is he lets me know what he's doing in the first paragraph because otherwise I would not, not have understood what followed. And often what I like to do when I answer the door in the morning is what comforts me is when I open the door, the person says, hello, I'm a person and I'm knocking on your door. And I'm so relieved because I get so confused. Continuing, I have a client that is interested to invest in your country and would like to engage you and your company on this project. The investment amount is valued at $18.5 million. Oh my God. Think of how I could expand the podcast. I could keep the podcast exactly the same, but do it from a solid gold chair. If you are interested, kindly include your direct telephone numbers for full discussion of this offer when responding to this email. Respectfully, Barrister Cody Ernest A. Esquire. I think he's from England, so this is got to be legitimate. I'm going to put that by the side and look into that. Herbert, would you look into that? We're giving him new treats and he has become a monster. He, we keep him up on the butcher block table and he lives now in front of the butcher block table just staring at it like, like he lost a girlfriend up there. Like she went to go, you know, I'm just going to run to the bathroom and never came back. That is, that is how he stares at the butcher block table. Oh, this is from Psych Nurse in Orlando again. And uh, about her depression, she writes, even when things are going well, they are still going badly. That is great. About her codependency, sending in my surveys and wanting both to be the most interesting person to have filled out the surveys as well as someone who isn't a total weirdo freak. (laughs) Fantastic. Um, And her other issue, I have issues with hearing music when there is no music being played. Besides being a sign that my psychotic depression isn't, Being properly handled by my medication, it's actually kind of cool. Thank you for that. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by, no, this is a struggle in a sentence, filled out by Dermatillomaniac. And uh, she writes, I am a classic Dermatillomaniac and use makeup to cover the damage from scratching at my dry skin. When someone compliments how I look, I think, if you only knew what I'm covering up. My therapist doesn't specialize in OCD, and I worry that if I tell her, we'll have to stop our PTSD work that's been so effective and refer me out. Snapshot from your life. Not realizing I'm scratching my skin at the end of the night because I have for so many years. It's at the point where I've stopped washing my makeup off at night so I won't see imperfections, but then I've realized I've started scratching at my shoulder, shoulders 10 minutes in. Uh, she wants any episodes with dermatillomania. I know we've had some, but I'm blanking. Uh, if there's ever a subject that you want on, uh, you want to listen to a podcast on or read a guest blog on, go to the search box at the website and just type in some keywords. So maybe try typing in dermatillomania, or go to the website and um, and ask uh, under the thread about podcast. Uh, discuss the podcast, post that question, and I'm sure some people whose minds haven't been damaged by weed uh, will be able to tell you. This was filled out by Moral Orpheus. I like it. Moral Orpheus. He is... uh, he has borderline personality disorder. And he writes, like playing speed chess with five opponents, all of whom I think are better at chess than me when really they're just throwing shit on the board at me because they don't know how knights work. That's a good one. Thank you for that. Um, Any ideas to make the podcast better? Create merch that encourages your listeners to contemplate Herbert's butthole. Um, I actually... If you guys, I think a Herbert's butthole t-shirt is in order, but I don't know what the design would look like because it's got to be something. If you're going to wear it, do you really want to have a big picture of a butthole on your t-shirt? So how do you truly honor Herbert's butthole while it being something that you could wear in public? Maybe you don't care. Maybe you don't care. And Herbert will sign off if there's a treat involved. He is a whore. He is a fucking treat whore. And Ivy could care less about food. She just wants you to tell her she's pretty. They might be in an abusive relationship. I'm going to get them into therapy. This is filled out by Amanda and... This is a snapshot from her life. Her, depre- her issues are depression, anxiety, OCD, um, suicide attempts, codependency, and uh, being a sex crime survivor. Today, I sit at my desk wishing I could tell my co-workers to be nicer to me today. What they don't know is that I still have the shakes from over-medicating myself in a suicide attempt last night. They don't they don't know that I have struggled with depression and suicidal thoughts my entire life, or that last night was the closest I had ever come to completing the task. The only thing that stopped me was a random message from my ex-husband about a photo someone had posted on Facebook of us in happier times. Maybe there is a God, I thought. I put down the wine and pills and walked out the door, taking a cab to his house where I spent the night uncontrollably shaking and spasming from the overdose. No one at work knows or suspects that I came so close to ending my life last night. Not for any good reason, except that I felt unloved, unwanted, and unappreciated. I'm going to guess there's probably a lot of fucking pain down under there. And that's just, that's how it's presenting itself as those feelings. Continuing. I even talked myself. That was kind of obvious, Paul. Paul oh i hate myself i even talked myself into believing that my young children were better off without me I want so I want so badly to be one of the normal people who live happy, fulfilling lives and make the best of things rather than what I am, which is an unmotivated person floating from thing to thing and person to person, hoping that along the way I'll find the unconditional love I so desperately need and have never experienced. I wished I could tell them why they should be nice to me today, but they wouldn't understand and I have already screwed up my life enough as it is. Well, first of all, I hope you understand how many of us, like you, there are. We are everywhere. And I guarantee you, there is somebody probably not 200 feet from where you work who feels how you feel, who've experienced some of the things you've experienced and has probably tried to take their life, and if not, have thought about it. Um. But like I said to the other listener nobody's going to know what's going on if you don't start talking and so whatever whatever your to-do list is at the top of that list put find help find somebody to talk to maybe a suicide hotline Maybe a therapy, if money's an issue, Google low-fee therapy in the name of your town or city. There's a lot of places. Uh, you can call 211 sometimes and they'll let you know what um, local services there are. Um, you can contact the Rape and Incest National Network because you are a, a sex um, sexual trauma survivor. Uh, and oftentimes you can get free uh, counseling for that. And I would bet that the trauma from that, if it hasn't been dealt with, is going to be a big part of healing that's going to need to take place. Um, But you are not your pain. You are not your pain. And you don't have to feel like that forever. Sending you love on a plane that just actually touched wings with the other two It passed by it and they're now eating its dust. So I hope you feel good about that that you are putting other passengers lives at risk That's a little too dark having just read that I should go back and erase it, but I'm lazy This is a beautiful happy moment filled out by Sudoku I think it's Sudoku I'm such an Sudoku brain. I'm either pronouncing it wrong because it doesn't sound right or she misspelled it. I'm going to blame her. Uh, Here's her happy moment. Lately, I have been feeling rather depressed and have struggled to do anything that requires me to be out of bed. My survival distraction method of late has been to climb into bed after getting home from my full-time job and sit there listening to podcasts and doing Sudoku's. The kind of behavior always makes me feel so guilty as it leaves my husband to pick up the brunt of the housework, which isn't fair, as he also works a full-time job and has to commute much more than me. However, instead of making me feel awful for it, he came home today and told me that he had bought me a present. He pulled out a brand new Pacer pencil, the kind with a little rubber on the end, and said it was to do my Sudoku. Sudoku. I fucking puzzle with. Instead of the crappy, blunt pencil I've been using. It reminded me of how lucky I am to have such a loving, understanding, and patient man in my life who doesn't need me to feel guilty for what I'm going through. God, that is beautiful. That is so beautiful. I'm always amazed by how simple a gift will make my wife cry. It's really... And I forget that. What am I talking about? I don't buy her anything expensive. I don't buy myself anything. Fuck her. (sighs) I feel like there's an ending, like like there could have been some joke or something to wrap that up nicely. And uh, I came up empty. Can I tell you how uncomfortable I am? When a bit goes south, how happy I am when I feel like I tagged something nicely and it's the tone of the show and it's truthful to who I am. And I feel like uh, I I won won the Super Bowl when I have those moments. And then when I lay something out there that just feels fucking hacky and might come across mean or be misinterpreted, my i go to perfectionist defcon 5 5 or 1 which is the bad one oh, shut up i think i'm being a little too hard on myself not hard enough all right for those of you that are new to the podcast that's uh, the mean dj voice in uh, in my head i don't know why i'm talking about everybody being new to the podcast you're all running you're all abandoning me You see through me. You see that deep down I'm awful. Again, I so want a joke to wrap that up with, but there's nothing. Nothing but the unbearable silence of my miscue. Is miscue the right word for that? It is now. Did I tell you that we chisel the transcript of this? Yeah, it's probably not a very efficient way to do it, but we find... um, Two-ton limestone tablets, and at the end of the show, um, we chisel in the transcript, and um, and then I store them in my backyard. There's got to be a more efficient way to do it, but, but I'm ancient Greek. All right. This is a fucking dark survey. This is very dark. Um, but, you know, we we, we read surveys... I want to understand as many people as possible and I'm just going to read it. I'm just going to read it. Um, this is filled out by a woman who calls herself okay. She's in her twenties. She's bisexual. Um, she was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. I- I'd say that's an understatement. Um, she was the victim of sexual abuse and never reported it. Um, I guess the reason I wanted to read this was because we read babysitter surveys and it's always from the point of view, almost always from the point of view of the person who had stuff done to them. And I think that's why I wanted to read this. Um, she was the victim of sexual abuse and never reported from age five to 15. My dad sexually molested me. Other men came to the house with their daughters. I was made to molest the other girls from age six months to 11 years. I'm so sorry. Uh, she's never been physically abused. Uh, she's never been emotionally abused. Um, I think what your dad to you is, uh, emotional abuse of the highest order. Any positive experiences with the abusers? I loved my dad, and it is hard to separate that. Darkest thoughts. I think about masturbating by putting a baby girl's arm in my vagina. Darkest secrets. When I do babysitting jobs, I look at baby girl's vaginas. I have gotten in the bath naked with a couple little girls and touched their vaginas too much while washing them. Also encourage the girls to touch my breasts. Um... And sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. Um, Thinking of fingering little girls' vaginas while masturbating uh, always gets me off. Um, Have you shared these things with others? No, too afraid to to tell any friends. How do you feel after writing these things down? Not any better. Um, Please stop doing what you're doing. Please stop doing what you're doing. If you are listening um, you are, I'm sure you know that you're, you're causing damage. Um, I'm kind of at a loss for words. Um, I have, I have so much compassion for what happened to you. Um, but i don't know i'm just um and i wonder if in your mind you it, it, like what you think about when you're masturbate when you masturbate it that's nobody else's business that's that's your own thing but i think those little girls are going to if they don't know what it is now on some level it is they know i think they know and um I'm sorry. I'm spending so much time with this, but it it um, it's so hard to to. I don't even know what I want to say. Fucking stop doing that. I want I want to hug the little you that was hurt, but I want to put the adult you in a headlock and drag you out of their house. I think that's why I'm so conflicted. And the fact that you're not seeking help is like it's like knowing that a fire is burning and there's no way to call the fire department. Let's brighten this shit up. I got an awful moment. Two some moments. And um. <laughs> this one is so fucking. I'm the youngest. This is from Living the Dream. Uh she's in her 40s. I'm the youngest of four kids. When it came my time to be a senior in high school, I was on Cloud Nine. It was finally my time to be celebrated. I was in a singing and dancing group and we were having our final concert. Seniors got to sing their own songs and get the spotlight for a while. This was back in the late 80s and my mother was up in the balcony using a tape recorder so I could hear the concert later. The concert is over. I had my spotlight. Then I went home and hastily rewound the tape player to listen to our song and my name being called to accept my senior certificate. My name is called, a bunch of people cheer. And my mother whispers into the microphone, next time wear a girdle. <laughs> it is so fucking awful. That is Hall of Fame. That is Hall of Fame. Oh my God. You know, I used, before I started doing this podcast, I thought that hands down, men in our society were the meanest about criticizing women's bodies. And I don't know anymore. I don't know. This is a beautiful, uh, awfulsome moment. I think it's just fucking straight up beautiful. I think it should be a happy moment. And this is filled out by uh, the unlovable daughter. And uh, she's in her forties. And she writes, my parents were very emotionally absent and showed no affection towards me. I was never hugged or kissed or told that I was loved. I was never praised or complimented, and if I ever did anything I was proud of, it was taken away from me with one fell swoop of criticism. One day I was visiting my grandmother in her old age home. She was in the dementia unit. An old man in the same unit mistook me for his daughter and took my hand. He told me I was the best daughter he could have ever hoped for and thanked me for visiting him. He held my hand for 20 minutes and told me how he had loved watching me grow up. He said I was beautiful and how lucky he was to have me as his daughter. I sat there with tears streaming down my face. It was the best day of my life. You guys are amazing. you guys are just amazing god the 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 vignettes that you share are just so profound I have the greatest job in the world I have the greatest job in the world getting to hear this stuff the dark shit you know I suppose without the dark shit the, the it would just be cheesy the happy shit would just be cheesy um, I hope if you're out there and you're struggling you heard something tonight that helped you I hope if you were bored this helped you pass the last 164 minutes um, maybe a light bulb went off in your head Maybe you cried. Maybe you hadn't cried in a while, and you cried a little bit. Maybe you laughed. Doubtful. Um, but I hope more than anything that I know uh, that you know that you are not alone. And the one constant in the universe is that things change. And um, thanks for listening. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way.
1: Beautiful. Everybody I know bizarrely
2: beautifully, beautifully fucked up in way. some weird
1: way.